This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Callum Kennedy. Like so many footballers in this region, Callum started his junior career with Reading, but also like many other footballers across this region, he shortly joined Swindon Town afterwards. It's at Swindon where he signed his first pro contract in 2008 and played for managers from Paul Sturrock all the way to Paolo Di Canio. He played 43 times in all competitions for Swindon, scoring just the one goal, but that goal was the start of a new era for the club. After Swindon, Callum has played for Scunthorpe United, two spells at Wimbledon, including a Wembley appearance, an ill-fated spell at Leighton Orient, and he now plays in the National League South with Billericay Town. We talk about all of this and more in the episode. I really enjoyed recording this with Callum and I really hope you folks enjoyed listening to it. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Very well. Thank you for agreeing to take part. No worries. Thank you very much for asking me on. It's my pleasure. Now, you've listened to a couple of the podcasts in prep for this, so you know what the first question is going to be. People who listen to this are probably lip-syncing this by now, but when you were younger, who did you support and who were your football heroes? Uh, I supported Tottenham Hotspur when I was younger. I can't really say I still do. I guess I do if I had to pick a team, but when I was a kid, I was... uh, much more into him and I think uh, my hero was probably David Ginola especially seeing him cut around in them pants at Barnsley that was me sold <laughs> Amen to that <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah because you're from you're from Surrey is that right? Yeah that's it yeah, and yeah when I was looking at 
the area where you're from, I had my money on Chelsea. What? What? There aren't huge. There isn't a huge amount of options football league wise around your way, is there? No, there isn't. To be fair, I think, and to be honest, it's, 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 there's no real uh, romance behind me supporting Spurs either. It was more a case of I had some older kids in my street that I'd always be outside playing with, and they all supported Tottenham for whatever reason. They kind of basically just bullied me into supporting Spurs as well, and then they went to a game. I think it was Aston Villa at White Hart Lane and I, they, they they had an extra ticket and I went with them and uh, Tottenham won 2-0 and I remember that was my first ever game that I went to watch and yeah, that was it. I, I was kind of, I was a Spurs fan then and then if I'd have known all the trials and tribulations that came with being a Spurs fan for the next like five, ten years, I probably wouldn't have done it. So football in your area, so you were playing football with your pals or the older kids on your street. What, yeah. was, what was football before you went into the real, the big league, so to speak? What was your experiences of football like in those early days? Do you know what? It was very casual. Like, it was just me playing in the street with those lads. They were all older than me. So, like, probably without even realising it, that was putting me in a good stead for when it came to the more, like, competitive stuff, just through playing with kids that were a bit more advanced than me and that were half-decent players as well. So then I, like, signed up to, like, a local team. It's called Nap Hill Wanderers, and I played for them. And we had a real mismatched team. We had like a we had a girl in goal. We had a lad that was on the larger side of life at the back. And it was a bit of a... We were kind of just thrown together. But I just fell in love with it. Like, we had a great time. I'm not sure we ever won anything. But we did win a couple of games. And when we did, it felt good. And then I think I... I don't think it was hard to stand out in that team, if I'm honest. But I started to look all right. And another team from a similar area called Curly Park Rangers, they... Uh, one of my best friends his dad ran the team and then he asked me to come and play for them and that was the team that we then we had a pretty good team so from about eight till like 10 I played for those guys and we pretty much were just like winning everything in and around our area and that led to a few tournaments that where there were scouts and stuff at those tournaments so then I had a few little like sort of pickups from different teams I went to Chelsea for a little bit and then got like I think I was it. It was a centre of excellence for Chelsea, so it wasn't like their proper academy. It was kind of like just a a trial for their centre of excellence. I ended up not getting anything. Went back to Curly Park Rangers. We won a couple of tournaments, and then, but at the same time, like all 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 at once, Reading, Crystal Palace, and Southampton all asked me to come and sign for them. But Reading asked my best friend in the team as well to, for him to go as well. So, but the both of us kind of went to Reading at the same time then. Curly Park Rangers sounds like something from the Beano magazine. Um. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Nap Hill Wanderers, like, it, it, really and truly, the team that I had at Nap Hill Wanderers, that should have been the team that I had at Curly Park Rangers because Curly Park Rangers sounds much much more fitting for the team that I had at Nap Hill. Let's, let's talk about these these clubs that were for you. So you join Reading purely on the basis that your pal gets, your gets in there as well. Uh, not 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 purely i no. think that reading were also the keenest out of the three mm-hmm. southampton were like fairly keen and they were saying that they wanted to do something but reading were kind of like literally saying we want to take both of you we want to sign you both mm-hmm. and it was all very like they said come and watch a game so i remember we went to the medeski and we watched what the first team play and it was just a bit more it just seemed like it was a bit more serious and also it was the it was the closest by far out of the three so I don't know if it was... I think it was just a combination of all of those things that ended up to me being at Reading, yeah. Yeah, sure, no no 
perfectly understandable. Reading and Southampton, in my neck of the woods, in Wiltshire, they're the two satellite academies and academies that really do gobble up junior footballers. Yeah. A huge reputation for it. That And when I was younger, because I'm a bit older than you, um, Bristol Rovers yeah. as well. You were there at 10, is that right? I went to Reading at 10. And at the time, I think Alan Pardew was actually the first team manager, if I'm not mistaken. And then I was basically... I was pretty much at Reading then. I think I might have even actually been nine when I went to Reading. So I was, at, I think all in, I was at Reading for like six, seven years. And in that time, at under 12s, that was when I was kind of doing pretty well, so to speak, at under 12s. And our manager at the time actually was Brendan Rogers. He was our under 12s manager. Mm. So he, we had a very good age group. I think like a lot was expected of our age group. So... Brendan had us at under 12s then Brendan started like working his way up and he ended up becoming the academy like the head of the academy at Reading so I think he was looking after the whole of the academy and the youth team maybe and then for whatever reason I feel like at under 14s he came back almost like specifically to work with our age group again as I say because we had quite a few that were like destined for big things if you like and so he was actually our manager for for two years, not, not consecutively, but under 12s and then under 14s. So, and he was a really good, really good coach, like hard taskmaster. I remember things kind of under him were a bit different than they had been under any other manager before. It was just kind of, yeah, you're playing for an academy, you get to play against these other like, Premier League teams that are, it's great. But with him, it was much more about like, progression like how can we improve every day like he'd make you set goals at the start of the season you'd have a little six-week goals you had a goal book that you'd always have to write what your targets were and stuff and I think he was just trying to like instill the mental side of the game like early on he actually told my mum once that I was too pretty to ever be a footballer and weirdly that's kind of stuck with me forever and even though I'm still a bit of a pansy like that has been something that's kind of made me just a little like you know, one of the things that you try and prove someone wrong and it almost came, say, I want to say full 360 when I was playing for Wimbledon against Liverpool in the FA Cup and he was the Liverpool manager. And at the end of the game, we got to have like a little chat and I think he was kind of not not surprised that I'd made a career in the game, but I think, it, you know, for me, I'd held on to what he'd said all those years. So it was quite nice for me to just be able to say I played against him when obviously he was managing a top, top team. Do you think that was a motivational sort of um, challenge that he gave you, or do you? Do you know do you... what? I think I think looking back, it probably was, and and I reckon I, I, I'm not sure that he might have thought that that would have worked and got the best out of me. But I think it actually at the time I, w- I probably wasn't very mentally strong, and I reckon it probably sent me the other way for a bit, and I probably did think, ah, oh, maybe I'm not going to make it then. But for whatever reason, it must have worked because it definitely did stick in my mind. It was something that I did kind of remember moving forward. So whether he meant it or not, it did It did kind of work, yeah. But still, for him, under 12s, under 14s, Reading uh, Academy to Swansea and, and Reading and, yeah, of course, yeah. Liverpool, Celtic and now Leicester, that's a hell of a rise. Do you, do you look back at that and go, although he was very good, I, I didn't think he would do what he's done now. Well... I don't know, because when I was, where I was young, I maybe didn't really, I was more worried about myself. Mm. I didn't really think of anything like that. I didn't, I didn't, the sort of mental side of the game, it was just, I was just playing football. I didn't really think of anything in those senses. So when, but then looking back now, 
he was definitely different to the other coaches. Like I said about the the goal setting and all of that stuff, there was definitely something different about him than there was about other coaches that I'd had. So in that sense, I guess you could argue, no, maybe I'm not surprised that he went on to do something different because he definitely was uh, making players at a young age think about stuff that I don't reckon they were thinking about before him. Teammates-wise, who were those players destined for greatness and did they? Do you know what? This is this is the funny thing. So it came to, it must have been like scholarship time. And as I say, there was a lot of like buzz around our age group. And weirdly, the age group above, they actually, like at Reading, obviously it was, it was a tough, there was, it was tough competition. Like there was obviously a lot of really good players and stuff. In the year above, they ended up giving out, I think they gave out like eight or nine scholarships. I think it was, it might have even been 10. I can't remember the exact number, but that was kind of, unprecedented in the sense that it was like well this this next batch that are coming through as in my age group they were t- talking about giving a lot of scholarships to us so for them to give 10 to the year above it was kind of like surprising everyone was like well may- maybe they're not as good so it was a bit strange that they were, were given that many out but it it turned out that they did end up giving my age group a lot of scholarships but there isn't actually i think there might only be two me well, I'm only semi-pro now, so I don't even count. But um, there's a lad called Tom Hately who's playing in yeah. Poland still. Yeah, Mark Hately's um, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a good mate of mine. And there was another lad called Dan Spence who's at Woking. Um, and I don't know what no one else like from my age group. Alex McCarthy, who's obviously mm-hmm. gone on to do really well. He's played for England, so he was in my age group. Um, but he came a little bit later on. But weirdly, the year above that maybe wasn't expected so much from them they literally all have gone on to have really good careers, all pretty much Premier League or Championship players. Um, Hal Robson-Karnu, my best mate, Jem Karajan, Simon Church, uh, James Henry. Uh, they literally had the, the Alex Pierce. Um, there really was loads of them. Like they all, Ben Hamer, they all went on to like have really good careers in the game. So it kind of, it was a bit strange in that sense. I think that us coming through and everyone talking about our age group maybe spurred them on to sort of show that they were they were the ones maybe it does seem to happen in waves doesn't it you football it can all depend on the mentality of the club at the time and it can just the stars can align for one age group can't they and then yeah the, yeah, yeah the ones be- sure. the ones below don't uh don't they're still good but they're not quite the other age group good so they're they're victims of of other successes so yeah yeah for sure i think the only sorry the only one that did i'm forgetting like the main one in our age group because he came a bit later but gilfie um gilfie sigurdsson he came when we were like 14 he came over for a couple of weeks and then when he was 16 he moved over and then obviously he's gone on like he's gone on to probably have potentially the best career out of all of all of us um but he was a hell of a player he's done all right hasn't he yeah. <laughs> so you're playing against elite sides. Do you remember going up against any particular names of note? Yeah. Um, I mean, quite a lot, really. I remember we played, we'd obviously always be playing like the likes of Arsenal, West Ham, Chelsea. And what's weird is it, it would be quite often the players that, it, it, they, they'd been there years, but maybe they weren't like the main players. And then all of a sudden something would happen and three, four years down the line, when you probably wouldn't expect them to be there anymore, they were absolutely flying. So someone like Kieran Gibbs, for example, he used to play for the old Wimbledon and we'd always play against him. And um, every time we played against him, 
for some reason he was playing he, he used to play right midfield and like cutting his left foot and I always used to think oh yes like this is going to be a nice easy game for me today and then uh, as we got older we, we went and played Arsenal one time he was playing for Arsenal and we were all a bit surprised that he'd somehow nicked a move to Arsenal from Wimbledon and it was like a different player he was like he was unbelievable and then obviously he kicked on ended up playing for Arsenal he ended up playing for England and had a hell of a career so it is it is weird how you know the players that you expect something from maybe it doesn't quite happen and the ones you're not sure about they go on to, to bigger and better things but I can't think of names off the top of my head but uh, yeah I'd say it's in the you know the good 20 30 amount of players that have gone on to have really really good careers Richard he's hit it and it's deflected and Swindon Town have the lead you avoided this at Swindon but you did have that disappointing day at Reading where you were let go what what was that experience like for you at Reading real bad actually really really bad because I'd been there for so long and because I had uh, I just felt like I'd grown up there kind of thing and I had some real close friends there like really really close inside of football and outside of football so on that like when they were sort of giving out scholarships I was one of the ones that they had kind of alluded to the fact that I probably would be getting one. And then it kind of just like, I don't know whether that then made me think, well, it's not yet certified. So it was putting too much pressure on me. And then my performances were maybe slipping a bit or whatever it was. I was quite small then as well. I wasn't like overly developed or whatever. And when it came down to it, we had two coaches, a guy called Martin Cole that used to be a player yeah. and um, Naz Bashir, who was our coach then. And Martin Cole used to tell me that he thought that we should, that I should be getting a scholarship and he was going to do it. And then the decision kind of ended up boiling down to Naz Bashir and he decided that he didn't want to give me a scholarship. So I didn't get one in the end. And then that was that kind of thing. But I remember thinking at the time, like, wow, yeah, this is this is sort of, the end of the road like you think the worst you think oh what's gonna happen now etc etc and then weirdly like one of my good friends from back home Cambly way he played for Swindon Town and I'd never played against Swindon because obviously Reading were always playing in the academy side of things and at the time Swindon was a centre of excellence mm -hmm. so I'd never played against them but he he had been at Crystal Palace his whole youth and then he didn't get a scholarship or no no he left when he was 15 sorry so he'd been at Swindon for a full season and he kind of said to me, listen, you'll, you'll come down and you'll smash this. Like, it'll be the best thing for you because obviously you need to get your confidence back after Reading, whatever, and, you, and you'll be fine here. You'll do really well. I can ask my manager. And it was Ify Anora. He was like, so Ify was the, I'm not sure whether he was the under 15s or under 16s manager at the time. He might have even been the youth team manager at the time. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly. But he was saying, he, like, I'll speak to him. So he spoke to Ify and said, ah, oh, like, I've got this friend that's just been released from Reading. Could he come down and train? So he said, yeah, he can. I went down to train and then that was it. I think I trained for a couple of weeks and then Swindon offered me a scholarship. Fantastic. So that was the 16 um, straight into 16 to 18. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I came at the end of that season, I think it was. Yeah. So I was there for a few months. Like, so Ian Wohn. Mm -hmm. was the youth team manager at the time so I played a few games with him but obviously I was playing up so the, the games that I played for him that was kind of my test as to whether I was going to get a scholarship or not I guess uh, and then I'm trying to think I always get it muddled up but I think basically he then left 
Mm-hmm. And then my first, yeah, that's right. Then my first full season in full time football. So I left school, came down to Swindon, moved into Digs, did and started my scholarship. And Dennis Wise had just taken over at that time. Right. So we'll, we'll get to that yeah, definitely. Yeah. But that's because I want to celebrate Ian Wone because Ian Wone, what a guy, what a guy, and often forgotten because he had a great season with Swindon. Um, obviously, he is a Nottingham Forest legend through and through, but he had a great season at Swindon before leaving and then coming back. So, I mean, from a from an experience perspective, especially within a centre of excellence setup, you're not going to get more experience than Ian Wone was um, as a footballer. What what was he like in those weeks that you were training? No. Do you know what? He he was he was really, really good with me. Like really good. I don't know whether it was because I played left back and he but he used to all he ever used to talk about is like he used to like sort of say how good my left foot was and stuff and he just made me feel a million dollars, yeah. So it, uh, he was someone that definitely stuck out for me that I really did remember because at a time when maybe I was feeling a little bit low, like in my confidence and I'd just been released from Reading and I'm questioning whether I'm good enough for all of this stuff. And then he just made me think, do you know what? I can't, I can do this. Like, because I know that he played at the highest level himself. Obviously, when he's then given me compliments and stuff, yeah, definitely made me feel a lot better. He's done pretty well in coaching. I think he's at Burnley yeah. now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. You were with Reading when the senior side on the ascendancy, so they were going upwards and Swindon were very much going downwards. But for you at that level, it's not too bad, really, because that gives you more opportunities, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think I genuinely, like when I first came and things were going quite well, and obviously I was playing up in the youth team. It was my first taste of youth team football and I thought I was doing all right. Um, and and obviously Wony was telling me good things etc so if he and if he had been the manager for a bit hadn't he mm. and he he'd obviously seen me and he was saying good things and I remember actually probably going from my lowest point to then all of a sudden completely like doing a 180 and thinking to myself hold up here I, I think I'm gonna play for Swindon's first team within the next six months you, you, you know what I mean like yeah. my whole my whole outlook on it had changed so I think it was it just sort of fell into place perfectly in that in that sense yeah how many of you from your under-18 side, how many of you came in at 16 like you did? Or were they all, we've been here since we were eight. Did you have difficulty adjusting or was it generally quite a um, united group and they brought you in easy? Um, because I had my friend, his name was Brad Can, So he'd been there for like a year and a half, basically, at that point. And so because I had him, he'd or- he'd obviously like already kind of like settled in. Mm. So because I was his pal, it was kind of just like a, a seamless transition for me. Um, and then, yeah, I was just kind of once I was in, I was in and everyone was pretty good to me. But I think there was a couple of other lads, like there was a couple of other Londoners that had kind of signed. They signed even later than I did. They kind of signed as we joined back up for pre-season so like do you remember Mustafa Carrier? yeah yeah went on to play for Gambia Middlesbrough yeah um, yeah 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 hell of a player so he ended up coming like there was like John Stewart who'd been from London as well so there was like there was people it was there was that whole grown up in Swindon we've been a year's kind of vibe but at the same time everyone was cool and it was pretty pretty easy to come in and because at that point I'm trying to think whether it was only you you couldn't have third years that could play in the youth team that was like the cut-off season I think before that you had third years in the youth team as well but then when I joined it was like it went to a first year scholar and a second year scholar then you were a pro yeah so but 
that because the year before there'd been third years, we still had a lot to do with like the Michael Pooks of the world, Andy Caton, those Ashan Holgate, those kind of guys, yeah. um, Ben Wells. So they were all like knocking around us as well. And I remember just kind of looking up to them and thinking that they were great guys. And yeah, it was cool. It was just like, a, you know, it's the first time you're, you're moving out of home, 16 years old. I, I loved it, yeah. Yeah, there, there definitely was in the death rattle of our relegation season, people like Holgate, Wells, Pook, Dave Stroud, Kyle Lapham, they were all coming yeah. through, weren't they? So who who else was in, in your year group, and well, in the under-18s when you were in there, other than uh, Cario and um, um, John Stewart? So we obviously had, when I first, first signed, it was like Lukas Djukovic, yeah. we had Chris Allen, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Morris, we all called him Muscles because he was a little freak. He was like the strongest man alive. Tom Evans. Who else did we have? Alex Wrigley. John Stewart, obviously, who I've said. Mustafa Carriol. And we actually had like a really good team. You know, Scott Doe. I lived with Scott Doe. Yeah, um, and then, like, obviously, one of my one of my real close mates now, Jake Hyde. Um, yeah. he, he came as well. So he was in the youth team with us. Yeah. So we had we actually did have a really good team both years because the, the first year, Obviously, the second years that we had were decent, and we had a really good FA Cup, FA Youth Cup run. And then the next year, the ones that then came up behind us, they were decent as well, like the Nathan Thompsons, Kurt Hammonds. So we got lucky. Like I feel like we got lucky anyway. Either either that or it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some some plenty of football league experience there. Of course, Lukas Jukovic is still playing Championship. Scott Doe played hundreds of times for Dagenham and Redbridge in, in League Two. Jake Hyde beat Swindon yeah. uh, for Woking last season. Um, yeah. So, yeah, plenty of stuff going on. So, in that first, so Dennis Wise is in town, and I'm pretty sure, and you, you can correct me, that I think it's David Lee and David Tuttle at this stage now. It, it, it was, yeah. And those two, oh, they were characters. Like, I don't, looking back now, I think they'd be fairly open to say it as well. I'm not sure that they were exactly aspiring to be the best youth coaches in the world do you know what I mean so they kind of came in because Dennis Wise was the manager Gus Poyet was there they it was like almost like well look if I get the job I bring all my powers with me kind of thing yeah and they were great in the sense that it was like old school so they were like real real tough taskmasters it was basically like old v young every day the young it was impossible to win like you could not win we could beat them 10-0 and it'd be next goal wins and there'd be like a disgusting forfeit on the back of it as well so we like the young lads we'd be hammering the older boys and and Dave Lee and Tuts would actually be joining in the training session and they'd be going right next goal wins we'd score so we'd win and go yep next goal wins and we'd keep going until they scored and then he'd be like right touch every crossbar in the whole of this field and the last one back has to do it again so it was like so stacked against us and it was almost it was just like character building you know Dave Lee would he'd do all sorts he'd be saying if you can run down to the bookies and get this bet on before the race takes off then everyone can go home before five o'clock if you can't then everyone stay until seven and we're cleaning all the change rooms all over again kind of thing so um there were some good times there for sure Dennis Wise and Gus Poyet although I'd only just come into full-time football and I'd just come out of school and stuff Mm. I think there was a big shock to the system in that sense anyway, moving away from home and stuff. We didn't have that much to do with those guys, yeah. um, but you could tell that they were running like a real tight ship. And even looking back now, they had something good going at the start of that season for sure. 
I was more excited when I found out that Gauche Paget was at the club than Dennis Wise, to be honest. That was the one yeah, that I was well, really to, excited. He used to join in training and he was frightening. Like, he was unbelievable, honestly. I loved it. If he, even if he just played one senior appearance. I know he played at the, uh, he, the I was tournament. Say, I was going to say, no, he played in a pre-season game. Yeah. And he was a joke. He played, I think it might have even been against Swindon Supermarine, you know. But he was, he was um, oh, what a player. I would have happily seen him play in one of the, the uh, whatever the uh, Football League trophy was at that point. That would have been good fun. So, yeah, Tuttle briefly was, he was like caretaker manager for about 24 hours at one stage. And then he, and he backed it, yeah. out of it. <laughs> yeah, when Wise left. Okay. All I remember about Dennis Wise, because he didn't really, he kept, he, he was obviously with the first team. He didn't really have too much to do with us. But on the first day of pre-season, he came into the youth team dressing room and he was like, right, lads, you're, all you're doing today, he said, you're lucky. Pre-season isn't like it used to be. All you're going to do today is one run. We're just doing one run and then you're done. That's it. And we were all like, oh, amazing. All right, cool. So he's like, um, at the training ground, we've, we've set up a track. So all you're going to do is it's just a 1,000 meter run, just your best time you can do. And whoever wins, I'll give you 50 quid cash. So we were all like absolutely chomping at the bit. None of us had the experience to like think about this, think it through. So we went off like the clappers, all of us absolutely like blew our load. Everyone's like at the end of it, everyone's nearly dying. And Ben Wells won, I remember, because he got given the 50 quid and I was gutted. And uh, then Dennis Wise was like, right, yeah, perfect. So the score that you just got for your 1,000-meter run, now we take 20% of that score and add it on, and tomorrow you're going to do 2,000 meters. And then the next day it's going to be the same time. That's your new time from now on. 20% added on is your new time. And the next day it's going to be three. Next day it's going to be four. And then carry on until we do 8,000-meter runs. And then we're going to work our way back down, but we're going to take it's going to, the time's going to come back off. So you're going to end up having to on the last day of the running so to speak you're going to have to do a thousand meters again and if you don't beat your score that you did the first time round by x amount you're gonna you're gonna do like a forfeit or you're gonna get fined i can't remember what it was but obviously then everyone afterwards was thinking why did we run so fast but we got roped into the 50 pound carrot that he was dangling that was what he believed was the base of fitness and and i gotta be honest i felt great and i think most of the other people felt great at the end of the preseason. It was like a real hard one, but mm. it obviously was working because didn't they win like their first eight games of the season or something? They did very well at the start, and of course, um, preseason fitness bodes well for a few years later, which we'll get to a oh, bit later on. Don't. don't you worry about that. For day one, send me off every game, no problem. I will win this league anyway because my team is a strong team, they're worth. We play football. Even if they send me off, we win this league. No problem. Dennis Wise leaves. Yeah. Um, A.D. Williams comes in for a bit, but obviously you're still on the peripheral. But this is around the time David Byrne turns up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So after the... I kind of look at my time at Swindon, really. I don't really... Like, the Dennis Wise era kind of doesn't stick with me that much. More for me, I would say... It's like, I would call it like the Paul Sturrock era, if you like. Mm -hmm. Then I would call it the Danny Wilson era. And then it would be the Paolo Di Canio era. That was kind of my three real sections of my career at Swindon. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, obviously, yeah, like you said, um, but we called him Budge, but yeah. David Byrne, yeah. He, Budge came in to be the youth team manager. And I remember he was like a large in life character <laughs> that 
basically came in and told us that he was going to be the toughest like taskmaster ever but like deep down he kind you kind of knew that if he liked you you could get away with it you kind of turn a blind eye to some bits and i absolutely love budge i still talk to him now he was a great guy and he actually gave me my first team debut so i'll always be indebted to him yeah great guy budgie's been on this podcast and, oh has he yeah, yeah he's oh, been no. on and budgie's budgie he talks yeah. very frankly yeah. about his time and it was an amazing episode to record i i had nice. loads of fun talking to budgie there was one story he said from when he came in and you might have been a part of this he didn't name names but he was he was in the uh in the old uh, offices and i think he was talking to Sturrock or someone and I think the youth players were, for want of a better phrase, dicking about in the yeah. corridor. And his his task given to him by Stark was sort them out, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he went from there. But, I mean, one thing you cannot deny about David Byrne is he's passionate about football. He's passionate about the development of football. And, you know, there, there were plenty of good results player-wise during his time at Swindon. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he obviously brought in his little, like, Plymouth contingency. He had, like, a little group of lads from Plymouth, like Sean Morrison, who's obviously still to this day, like, he's one of my best mates. He obviously brought him in with Joycey, uh, Ben Tozer. So they had, like, a little gang of them that were, like, the Plymouth lads. Um, a good story about Budge, actually, was um, that some of the some of those lads, I think it was, like, more of the Plymouth boys, um, but some of them that maybe didn't have digs at first, they used to stay in this hotel up in Old Town. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten the name of this hotel now. It's almost like it, it was a hotel, but it was obviously a couple that ran the hotel and they kind of looked after the lads. So they put on dinner for them and stuff as well. And um, it, it, there's no other way to put it. But basically, the, the lads had a couple of girls back to the hotel and uh, and ended up being up all night, going crazy, had a bit of a party, whatever. And the next day, we all went to training. Everyone a little bit worse for wear kind of thing, sitting around and training. Budge is none the wiser at this point. He hasn't got a clue. And we're all sitting there. He's going through, like, he's just talking about what we're going to do that day. Everyone's, like, a little bit wary kind of thing. And then he gets a phone call, and he, he turns around. He's on the, He picks up the phone, and he's talking. And then we hear him going, like, you what? Are you? And he's, like, swearing and that. Are you winding me up? Whatever. Uh, he gets off the phone. He's like, right. You, I won't even repeat what he said, but he's like, you lot over it. And he made all of us pick up a ball. We had to hold the ball above our heads, like in, our, in two hands, hold the ball above our heads and just run around this track until he said, stop. We must have been running for like 45 minutes because we trashed the hotel and uh, he was just going crazy. <laughs> but that sums him up, yeah. But then like after, afterwards, this is like that, that kind of sums Budge up though, because afterwards, as you're walking in, he'd give you a little wink, you know what I mean? Like, he, he, it was kind of like he knew, it, it, it was, he was cool, he was cool. If, 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 you, if you were a decent player and you were trying your best and you were working hard for him, then he'd be good as gold. Let's talk about this Paul Starrock era because it's, it's, a, it's a big one for you. So he yep. comes in, town get promoted. Before we go into the 2007-8 season, um, are you training with the firsts at any stage during this time, or are you still? Because you're last year, um, last year under 18s, 2007. Is that right? Yeah. So in my last year, I'd signed a pro. We 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 got quite far in the FA Youth Cup, yeah. and I'd ended up. Um, uh, I remember who did we play? We I think we played Swansea. I think we beat Swansea five nil. In and it was like Paul Starr had literally just taken over, 
And the next night after he'd taken over, we played we played Swansea in the FA Youth Cup, I think it was. And we beat them 5-0. We absolutely bad. And Joe Allen played for Swansea that night. And we, we I'm talking, we properly did a number on them. And Lucas played, Lucas Djukovic might have even scored a hat-trick or something. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, we went to town on them. And the next day, Nutty, do you remember Nutty? Yeah, Jeremy Newton, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, another great guy, by the way. He, um, I remember we were walking to the training ground and he pulled me and he said, listen, Paul Sturrock was there last night at the gaffer, the new gaffer, and he was asking about you. He, he really liked you or he thought you had a great game. He, re- he really liked it. So I was like, OK, that's great news. Obviously, you're just starting up. So I, I found myself like quite quickly involved with Paul Sturrock, like from the get go kind of thing. So obviously, I was still always playing in the youth team games. And I'm not sure at first I even really got myself into the first team squad in terms of match days, but I was training with the first team quite often. And I just could tell that him and uh, his assistant, who his name is slipping my Kevin tongue. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Summers. Yeah, sorry. He, They both would always give me like really good feedback and stuff. So that was quite cool. And yeah, I kind of knew that with those two in charge that I'd have a good route to the first team if I carried on doing what I was doing. Yeah, and it came as a bit of a surprise to town fans. We'll talk about the Brentford game now. The Brentford game was surprising for various reasons. One, it was a very unusual lineup announced. Two, we stuffed Brentford still. Um, yeah. So you make your debut that day. Ben Tozer plays as well. Chris Allen plays. Um, yeah. Kurt Hammonds is on the bench. It's unfortunate because he didn't he didn't quite um, make it into the senior side. or didn't make an appearance, and there was a lot of promise there. But I think injuries. Lloyd Macklin came yeah. on. But yeah. you come from absolutely nowhere. You and uh, an overseas guy called uh, Mauro Almeida. Nobody, um, nobody knew yeah. he even signed. You know, yeah, his yeah, name was yeah, on the yeah. team sheet. When did you know you were going to play that game? I think that day. I think that day. Like um, Paul Starrett just pulled me and said that I was going to be playing. And I remember thinking, yeah, great, like amazing. Um, uh, Simon Cox had signed that day as well. Mm-hmm. I remember that because Coxie had been. At, or he'd signed that weekend before or whatever, but that was going to be his, I think he was hoping to play or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was at Reading when I was at Reading, but he was a few years older than me. So I kind of knew Coxie when he first come in as well. Mm. And then I just remember Paul Starrick saying, yeah, we're playing Brentford, you're going to play. And I remember like not really having time to even really uh, process the fact that I was going to be making my debut. And yeah, I went on to have a pretty good game. I think I even, I might have even got an assist. I, I think, did we win 4-1? It was 4-1. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I set a goal up. But yeah, obviously then I was 17. So I think I was 17. I can't remember exactly. But when you basically, you know, that night didn't sleep a wink. Cause I remember thinking, that's it now. I've made it. Like, I'm cracking on there. <laughs> Can you remember what your squad number was? Was it 34. Correct. Well done. Nicely yeah. done. <laughs> He's happy with that. Um, Love. Love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a bizarre time for Swindon because behind the scenes, the takeover was it. Well, the the uh, best holdings thing was happening where um, they were bringing in players. I think um, Ibon Arietta playing yeah, that yeah. day scored a little overhead kick, if I remember yeah. right. He was. By the way, he was. One of the best finishers I've ever seen. That little guy. Like I don't, yeah, I don't remember anything else except for him joining in training, and it was embarrassing. We did like a finishing drill, 
didn't see him all training. He didn't obviously he couldn't speak English. Didn't say a word. And we did this finishing drill. I swear to God, he must have scored fifteen out of fifteen. And everyone was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And then obviously played in that game, scored an overhead kick, and everyone's like, "Wow, he's the best player ever!" <laughs> and I don't think we saw him again, did we? About four uh, substitute appearances, and then disappeared yeah. on, along with best holdings. And Simon Cox yeah. scored, did play and score in that game. And the long forgotten Chris Blackburn, who came in from Morecambe, and oh, what a guy he was, mate! Yeah. So, do, do you know anything about him? I know he's quite spiritual. Right, I was gonna, I was gonna say, he obviously I'm young at this point, so I'm not really, I haven't figured out my own philosophies of life or anything like that. But he didn't have a phone, which even then, at that, obviously now that would just be scandalous to not have a phone. But even then, it was kind of weird not to have a phone. And he used to wear clothes from just charity shops, but like charity bins. So I remember one day at training, he this is no banter. He had on a BP, you know, like a BP mm. petrol like one of the people that work in BP at Polo for like a, a staff member, but he was just missing the name. He took the name badge off and just wore the Polo. Yeah, he was a wild cat, but he was a good, he was a great guy, grew a big beard. And he basically was saying, if I remember rightly, I think he, I think he missed the first three weeks of preseason with Paul Sturrock because he was in India. <laughs> and, and Paul Sturrock said to him, look, if you don't come back, you're going to get fined. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's cool. Like, don't worry about it. It's fine. And he's like, what do you mean that's fine? He's like, no, no, it's fine. I'm not coming back. I've got to do it. Like, I want to be here. I'll come back on this date. And yeah, do what you got to do. Like, find me whatever you want. And and so, so like, Paul Stark didn't, I think he fined him those weeks or whatever. And he just came back late to preseason and then just cracked on. Amazing. My memories of Chris Blackburn are essentially that I'd seen him play for Morecambe at Wembley a couple of months before he signed and he was really good so I was happy and more importantly he before he joined Swindon he used to play for a team called Nevada Wonders so right. what a time what a, what a gig to have that guy I think he lives in Australia yeah. now but uh... I'm, I'm sure he does I, like, listen if you told me that he was like in a monastery or something I wouldn't put it past him <laughs> but I used to I used to like sit and just ask him questions on the coach constantly I'll tell you what if Cy Ferry had been knocking around back then days he would have had a field day with Chris Blackburn, an absolute field there. <laughs> then after, I mean, I think you have a substitute, um, an unused substitute appearance in the first team. And after that, you go back to the reserves or youth side, yeah. sorry. But yeah. I think the most important thing from that season really is in the February of that year, you and pretty much about eight others all signed pro deals, which was a huge yeah. move. So this is the new owners now. I think that's Andrew Fitton is now in at this stage. And yeah. that's a really, really, really sort of big statement of where Swindon wanted to go at that moment in time. Yeah, and I remember going from, to me, more importantly, I went from £50 to £135. And I was like, here we go then. Now we're talking. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember just, we'd obviously had a really good run in the FA Youth Cup. We actually lost to Charlton. John Joe Shelby was like frigging Zidane that day. And they beat us 4-1. I think he scored two. And he was maybe a couple of years younger than us. So I think he might have even been like 14 or 15. And honestly, he was uh, he was frightening. So we all, after that little run, I don't know whether it was almost like a statement, almost like a publicity stunt. Obviously, you know, we were all good players and that was great. But I think, yeah, the club wanted to try to prove that that we had youth players coming through and, and to be fair we actually did like like we were talking about earlier like it's actually uh, it, when you look back it's kind of 
ridiculous how many players have gone on to have really good careers from those couple of years in the youth team. I'd say in terms of percentages, it's got to be much higher than most. It's, it has to be. Mm. That Out of that squad, I mean, so it was you, it was Kurt Hammonds, uh, Jake Hyde, who had a pro career with Barnet and amongst other teams, and he went up to Scotland. Yeah. Ben Joyce, he made the first team. Uh, yeah. Lloyd Macklin, who Dave yeah. Byrne describes yeah. as you know one of the most promising footballers he ever trained. Uh, Sam Morris, yeah. Sean Morrison, whose career is very much there to see. Mark Scott, who people like Cy Ferry and amongst others have yeah. said he was you know pretty decent goalkeeper, certainly better than... Jessenkowski, yeah. Jacob Jessenkowski, Jakob, yeah. yeah, and Jack Winter yeah. as well. So, um, yeah. plenty of plenty of promise there. And I think, to be honest, it works. It's even if it's a publicity stunt, I think it works for all parties. It's a good insurance policy to have yeah, have yes. that sort of depth. And well, you're getting excited over over those wages. So no one's they're uh-huh. not breaking the bank by by keeping exactly. you guys in, are they? Yeah. Um, the following season, it gets a little bit more interesting for you. Lot, uh, you're kind of the king of August, aren't you? you? You're very much around the Swindon setup, the first yeah. team in the early stages of the back, season. I come back and kick on and then I just crumble. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I worked out, I think when I was doing my prep for this, throughout your whole career, there's about two other players every season that can also play left back it might be more than that so to start with it's Jamie Vincent and Jack Smith can also he's a right back but he can play left yeah. as well yeah 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 um Miguel Cominguez uh, he can he can play there yeah. and of course yeah. the great legend that he is Casale Yinka Casale is that is that frustrating when you're an out and out left back and I'm sure you can be utilized in other positions but that's what we knew you as my biggest issue yeah. was actually that I didn't really thrive on the competition enough because yeah. uh, looking back, I had, I'd done enough and I had ample opportunity to really kick on. I really did. Like looking back now, if I had the mentality that I have these days back then, I really do. It's so easy to say that you think you'd have had a better career, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that I couldn't have been in a better place at that young age with, the sort of uh, the, the the talent I had, if you like it, I wasn't like the best player by any stretch of the imagination. But if I had a bit more about me to work on the things that I needed to work on back then, I think, and even little things like getting in the gym and stuff, I really think that those times at Swindon, hmm. I was given golden opportunities that I could have snatched with both hands and really taken off. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Now Ferry to the byline, Davita. They have turned it around. Simon Ferry to the byline, and he had the presence of mind to pick out Rafael De Vita. How how did you feel when Sturrock left? I remember being a little bit gutted because I did think that at some point I was going to end up playing for him week in week out mm. because of the conversations that me and him always like used to have. So he, I think in his head, he kind of thought I was missing a couple of bits from my game that once I'd got them down or got a bit more experience, I could have been decent. Um, so, yeah, I remember being a little bit disappointed at that point. But then it's like anything, I guess you just you just think, right, let's just crack on. Weirdly, back then, I never had any visions of like going anywhere else. I never thought I just always thought, right, I got to make it here. I got, I like it's, I'm on the periphery. I'm going to I'm going to get my proper chance. And then when I do, I've got to take it. So it was just kind of on to the next I guess mm. and then David Byrne has two 
uh, caretaker spells. In his first caretaker spell, he gives you your league debut. I think that was against Carlisle, wasn't it? Yeah, and I ate as much macaroni cheese as I possibly could in the morning of that game because that's how like schoolboy I was. I just thought I need to get as many carbs in me as possible. And then I ended up getting the worst cramp I've ever had after like 65 minutes, yeah. <laughs> Carlo were a pretty decent team then as well. So it's not like, um, yeah, I think they had yeah. Tim Krul in goal that day. You know, the uh, they, yeah. the Dutch goalkeeper. And they had like, oh, Graham Kavanagh would have been there. Richard Keown had a place with Derby. I yeah, imagine yeah, Michael yeah. Bridges was there. It's, I think it's one of those games where like you come off with about 10 minutes to go and then they equalise after. When you're sat on the bench in those moments, do you look around yeah. and go, well, you know, we were winning when I was on? No, I think I was thinking, <laughs> why did I eat so much macaroni and cheese before? Um, no, but I, I, I think I was just, even though they'd scored, I just remember feeling so like proud of myself that mm. obviously I'd played my first game, done all right. I knew I'd had a good game. Mm. Um, and for all of the like, the nerves and stuff before the game and the night before, I'd, I'd done it. And I, I guess it's almost like that realisation. Nothing can quite make you realise that you're capable of doing it until you do it. So then when I did, I was like, all right, cool, look, I'm fine here. And like you said, I remember thinking, and these are a good team. Like Budgie had told me how good Carlisle were. So I remember thinking if I could do it against them, I'm trying to think who I was up against that day. But I remember he was, he was all right. And uh, whoever was the left back at the time at the club, they told me like, yeah, you're going to have your work cut out. Like he's a decent player. So I just remember feeling happy that I'd obviously had a good game and then just looking forward to kicking on from there. I think you you have three eras in your yeah. career, as you described, but there is a manager that we have to talk about because he's not yeah. named, and that's Morris Malpass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, Morris Malpass, because obviously his his tenure at Swindon was ultimately a failure, and and the players that I've talked to from that era kind of kind of kind of just say, do you know what? I don't really remember much about yeah, Morris it, Malpass. It's weird. The only thing that I remember about him was after a training session once we were all walking back to our cars, and he got us to all gather around his car while he opened all of his car doors and he played the speech, the Al Pacino speech, you know, inch by inch. Any given Sunday, yeah? Any given Sunday, yeah. yeah. So he was just blazing that out of his car and we were all kind of stood around, like, wet, like, getting, waiting to get in our cars, thinking, what on earth's happening here? Um, but he was he was actually all right with me. Mm. I, I, I don't. It's weird that you say about not really remembering because all I remember is the Al Pacino thing. I don't remember too much either really I, I don't remember whether he was super keen on me or whether he didn't like me I can't, yeah I don't know I can't really remember it's funny isn't it how because you're not the only one it's it's either that yeah. it's one big secret that everyone's agreed to and we don't talk about the Malpass era Ooh. but how long was he actually manager for uh, he was um is it a year it must be less than a year mustn't it really? it's, isn't it no nah, it can't yeah it can't have been a year can't be. Oh, it's going. It's not going to be a full calendar year, though. That's. I feel like my memory. I think it was. I, I think like it was. Ele- there we go. It was eleven months. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot longer than I thought it was. Yeah, in my head, maybe it's because the two either side of him for me were much more significant. So, like, obviously, Paul Sturrock was, was huge. Mm. In, I put I put Budgie in the Paul Sturrock thing as well. Like, so that's one thing. Like Budgie and Paul Sturrock, they can They kind of came to the club together. Yeah. And. Um, so that that was huge for me because that was kind of the breakout for me. Mm. And then Morris Malpass was maybe like the little in-between bit. 
And then obviously from there, I had the Danny Wilson era, which was like my second sort of bash year, if you like. Yeah, let's go with Danny Wilson then. So the season starts. Luckily, you dodged the the tonking at Ginningham. I think you're on the bench for that. I was on. The, I, I was on the bench. Yeah. You're making a few sporadic appearances in the league, a couple of minutes here and there. But I think your breakout game really was the Wolves away game. The, yeah. The cup yeah. game, the nil nil, and the penalty shootout. Yeah, and I remember before the game, he sort of said to me, "Listen, like, do you know? What? Firstly, like Danny Wilson." I absolutely loved him. Like, great guy. I really, really liked him as my manager. Probably, he's right up there with my the best manager I've had personally, just in the sense of the kind of belief without really telling the world, but the belief he had in me. Like, do you know what I mean? He, yeah. he kind of always told me that he thought I could do whatever it was that I wanted to do in the game. And I, I don't know. I think he believed in me probably more than I did myself, actually, if I'm honest, because he gave me a few opportunities ahead of... Like there was a couple of there was a couple of times where I was starting ahead of Sheens and Rosie mm. Michael Rose, and he kind of was telling me it was it was it was warranted on my performances. He was like, "Listen, I, I believe in you. Like you can do this kind of thing." Mm. He gave me my first real like sort of substantial. Not I say substantial, but what I would class as like a proper contract, like you know, fairly decent money for the first time in my career. So yeah, I I I, I really enjoyed working with Danny Wilson. And that, that game against Wolves, I remember him sort of pulling me before the game and saying, you're going to be marking Matt Jarvis. Um, it is Matt Jarvis, isn't it? That's his name, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he was a substitute in the end. but um, Yeah, yeah. Um, so he didn't, and, he, and I remember thinking, oh, wow, okay, all right, cool. This is going to be a tough game then. And then in the, and then in the warm-up, obviously, it turned out he wasn't playing. So he's like pulled me and said, ah, oh, he's not playing now. And then... Uh, it was another lad called Nathaniel Mendes Lang, mm. who's now ended up playing in the Premier League anyway for Cardiff, and it was his debut as well. So he was 16. I remember thinking, perfect, like this is great news because I, I thought I was going to be playing against Matt Jarvis, who's like going on to be an England international, or whatever. And now I've just got a kid who's probably just as nervous as me. This is wicked. And then the first 10 minutes, I think he just absolutely blazed me twice, like knocked it down the line and just ran me. Um, and I was thinking, oh my God, who is this kid? Uh, but then I grew into the game. I actually ended up having a really good game. It went to extra time. Matt Jarvis then came on. I did well. And then it got to penalties. And Danny Wilson gathered us all around. He's like, right, who, who wants to take the penalties? And I, I put my hand up and said, I'll take a penalty. He was like, okay. And he looked at me. He's like, okay, cool. And then he said, right, who wants to take the first penalty? And I put my hand up and said, I'll take the first penalty. Mm. And he looked at me and like a bit taken aback. And he was like, Love that, love that cow. All right, cool. Yeah, you're taking the first one then. So I took the first penalty, scored. We ended up losing on penalties, though, right? Yeah, Gordon Greer misses. Um, I think we both sides score their five, and then it goes into sudden death. And um, yeah, Greer missed. Yeah. So that that was it. And then the next day, or the day after, we might have had a day after the next day, but the day after, we went into to training, and he, and Danny Wilson pulled me and was like, a thought you had a wicked, like a really good game well played and B I loved that you put yourself forward for the first penalty as well I, I, I was over the moon with that uh, and then he sort of said to me uh, and then that was when he spoke about a new deal he's like oh, I want to give you a, a new contract or whatever so yeah at that point I'm thinking right here we go then I wish he said wicked yeah he probably did he was a great guy <laughs> yeah that first full season for Danny is one that 
Town fans will never forget. And it's, is it bittersweet for you? Because you're clearly on the radar for Wilson, but that's the year you get injured, isn't it? Yeah, I did my hip. Uh, pelvic, yeah, wasn't it? Pe- my hip, yeah. I had yeah. a stress fracture on my hip. So, yeah, I was kind of thinking, I was expecting big things that season, really. Yeah. And, like, obviously, without knowing it, the team was going to go on to be a really, it was the, the beginnings of a really good team. So, but I was always there or thereabouts. So I, I never felt like I was a kid. That that season, I wasn't a kid anymore. I was like in. I was with the first team. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've talked to lots of um, your teammates from that season. I've talked to Simon, obviously. I've talked. Billy Bowden was on the periphery, um, yeah. looking through on that season. Um, and of course, Charlie Austin. I've spoke to him, Phil Smith, and they all say the same things. They all say that dressing room was one of the best dressing rooms that they had ever worked within in their entire yeah. careers. Was that the same for you? Yeah, that was like because of the mix of people that we had. Like, I don't know whether the older lads in that changing room nurtured the younger ones into being larger than life characters or whether those younger ones just had it in them to be cannons anyway but there was something about that change room that it was like people were just getting the worst out of each other but like in the best way do you yeah. know what I mean um so yeah you had the likes of like Lee Peacock Billy Painter like even even sort of Sean Morrison and myself like coming through I think we were probably like way above our station in terms of handing out banter in the in the dressing room to the older lads but they loved it they kind of if you if you didn't it was sink or swim if you didn't get involved you were going to get hammered hasney as well like he was he was dishing it out it was it was like yeah it it, it, it was ruthless man that that year there with danny wilson especially that year with billy painter and stuff that was like that was carnage I don't know if I would have survived as a professional footballer in in, in that atmosphere. No, you, you would have, you would have. Like <laughs> once you're in, you loved it. Like every day there was something else happening. It was just, oh, it was constant. It, it it was great. Austin going in. Well, it was coming in the first half. It's arrived six minutes into the second. A glorious scoring header from Charlie Austin. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. I'm always hearing about this thing banter. Is it just is it is it hijinks in the sense of practical jokes, old Wimbledon style, or is it just is it just conversation? Because I mean, some of those guys in that squad, as you said, I mean, painter, fairy, huge reputations and mile a minute. Yeah, it's just constant. Yeah, it's just constant, like, basically taking the piss out of each other. Like, everything that anyone was wearing would get hammered uh, any time you said anything that was maybe out of line. Like, I'll tell you what, this is, I don't even know why I'm doing this to myself, but one of the worst things that ever happened to me is um, we had, this is so bad, by the way, I can't believe I went for this, but we, um, we had a reserve game one day, and I played in this reserve game. And I'd had a really good game. I think I might have even scored. I think I scored one and set one up. So I'd, I'd done really well in this reserve game. And we're on the way home, yeah? And, and stupidly, I'd been talking to Cy Ferry. And I'd been messaging him. And he'd asked me how the game was and stuff. I said, oh, yeah, oh, you should have seen me, mate. I was on fire, like, whatever. Um, so he's like, oh, I love that, love that, whatever. So anyway, 
I get a call about like 20 minutes later from a number that I don't recognize. Yeah. And I, and I'm on the coach. So I pick up the phone and I can't remember who, what you said his name was now, but it's obviously, he said he's an agent is, I can't remember what he said his name was now, but I'm an agent and I'm at Ipswich and I'm, uh, Roy King's the manager here. And he, uh, he absolutely, he, uh, I, I was at the game today, a uh, uh, scout for Ipswich was at the game and he thought he had a great game. And I'm on the phone, absolutely hook, line and sinker. Like I've gone for this big time. Yeah. So he's going like, would you like to come to Ipswich and play for Roy King? And I'm going, oh, I'd absolutely, of course I would. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. And he's like, okay, yeah. He said like, you've got a really long throw. You've got a really long throw. And I'm thinking in my head, hey, I didn't even, no, I ain't got a long throw. He's like, he said, you can like really arrow him into like a six yard box. And then I'm going, yeah, 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 I've got a long throw. He's like, okay, cool. He said, like, you're a real hard tackler. Like, you just, today you were smashing people. I'm thinking, I haven't made a tackle since I was about 11. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, isn't that, no, absolutely. He's like, yeah, because he wants players in the mould of himself. And I'm like, yeah, no, I love Roy King. <laughs> and then uh, and then I started clocking. He said something out. He was getting more and more ridiculous, yeah. And then I thought to myself, oh, no. Oh, no, please, no. And then I just heard loads of people laughing. And it was like all of the first team in the dressing room. And it was Sai putting on a voice. Like everyone else in the change room, the whole squad there. I think even the gaffer and Pete Shirt, they might have even been there as well. And they're all just listening to me, just absolutely, basically begging Roy Keane to sign me at Ipswich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm retiring. I'm retiring right there. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. shake all I, their I hands. Took- I, I, I took it pretty well like I, you just what could you do man you just gotta hold your hands up um, but I think afterwards Si he, I think he actually felt bad in the end because it, me and him were like pals and I think he thought oh no I'm out of he's gone for it so bad that I've like, killed him but I'm glad it happened I'm glad I got a real bad one out of the way because I, I kind of had to learn from there you know I'm just impressed by Si's range I mean he's got quite a distinctive yeah. voice so he must be able to uh, throw it the geezer's got it all. He's got it all. <laughs> I the... think I might have even called my mum and said, um, Ipswich are oh. coming in for me, by the way. Oh, no. That... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, and there's the manager just going, oh, you want to leave, yeah. do you? It's like, yeah, no way yeah, your yeah, head's yeah. at. No way exactly. your head's at. Imagine if, I, imagine if I got released off the back of that. That oh. wouldn't have been funny, would it? Well, not for you. It would have been funny yeah. for everyone else by the sounds of it. Yeah. Sure. Amazing. Okay, so um, the remainder of that season that you, sort of you dip out from about October, November onwards because of injury. So you you observe one of the, sort of the best eras in a in, in a long while during that, where it looked like oh man, it looked like we were we were dead certs at one stage, didn't it? Yeah, we were cooking on gas, weren't we? Like um, I think that. Uh, uh, if I remember rightly as well, like obviously I'd be in amongst it. I wasn't actually training. I was injured for a bit, but it was like training was just taking care of itself. And funnily enough, we had this a bit at Wimbledon. When we went up that season at Wimbledon, mm. it was the same kind of vibe. Like everyone was pulling for each other. It was kind of like everyone, everyone knew their jobs. Training was almost like the gaffer wouldn't even need to take training almost. It was like just, it, it, it was self-sufficient. Like We were just basically between the team. Everyone knew their job so well. Obviously, that Swindon team had some ridiculous players in it as well that had not only all were really good in their own individual rights, but all got on like a house on fire. And it was just, oh, it was powerful. It was, it was a joy to watch. 
Oh yeah, there's, there's there's a period between oh, I think it's around about December to March, and it's bookended by two absolute tonkins that we suffered by Bristol Rovers, where every week we're scoring two, three goals, and yeah, and then even yeah. after that battering when Bristol Rovers did us four 0 at, at the county grounds, we're starting yeah. sort of squeezing out those one nils, and then of course the the two three nils, the one against Leeds and the one against Tramier. Yeah. And yeah. as I've said to others, after that Leeds game, that's where I bought in and I went fully like, this is it, it's happening, we're up. And then, um, did you did yeah. you go to the Charlton games and the Wembley final? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I was sat on the, I was on the bench, like I wasn't on the bench, but I was sat Just on the bench behind, at, the Wembley, yeah. at the Wembley final. Um, the Charlton game, the home one, obviously I was at, and the away one I didn't go to, hmm. um, but I was watching it on TV. And then when the game finished, I went and met all the lads because we had a lock-in in Old Town that ended up in me, Sean and JP going to Marbella for three days. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I was there all right. <laughs> when was the decision made to go to Marbella? About half one in the morning and we were there at half five. <laughs> we got some guy. We got some guy at the pub to drop us to the airport. Sean was still in his kit, I think, from the game. <laughs> And all he had, he didn't have any. I had, no, Sean was in his kit. I think JP was in his club suit. And I was in, like, basically my pyjamas because the game had finished. I'd driven to Swindon to meet the coach at the pub. And then we were, like, we were obviously drinking a bit. And then JP's like, oh, should we just get off to Marbs for a couple of days? Just relax in the sun and just, like, I think in his head, in JP's head, it genuinely was, like, it's been a long season. Mm. We've got X amount of days now until until the playoff final. So he didn't have like a missus or anything. He was kind of like, let's just, I want to just go and just have two or three days downtime before we're back in training, before it's like go time. So I kind of actually, looking back, it sounds so bad saying we went to Marbella, but I kind of got his reasoning at the time. But me and Sean, I was injured and Sean was an idiot. So like we didn't, <laughs> like we didn't, we weren't thinking on the same we weren't thinking on the same wavelengths that he was so yeah we obviously went there it wasn't as crazy as probably people would have thought it was in hindsight obviously if you go on and win that game in the final no one ever bats an eyelid do they but the fact that we lost i don't think it was looked upon very sweetly but did you have a good time I think we had a hell of a time. Fantastic. It's good to think that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and Sean didn't play either, so it was only JP nah, and he, it was all this It's a fault. good job as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what on earth happened, at a club point of view, what on earth happened that the next season? So you've you've listened to Sai's explanation, Billy's mentioned it, Phil's mentioned it. Everybody who played in that season seems to point their fingers towards poor old David Prutton, who hasn't had the chance, <laughs> has, hasn't had the chance to defend himself. But he's a yeah. Sky Sports now. But if he yeah. ever, if he ever listens to this, he's above us, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Um, but he'd be more than welcome to come on and explain um, yeah. or say his part of the story. But is it as simple as the clicks of Leeds United and and David Prutton? I think it's I think it's easy to to say that that's the case, um, but. I don't know. I think it's more a case of probably when the results aren't aren't going exactly as you want them to. Like like that season before, when everything was going swimmingly, mentality of a team is so big. It plays such a big part that it's like where you're winning every week, you just feel like you're going to win every week. And it's almost doubly as powerful when it's the other way. When you're losing, 
you can't see where a win's coming from and then you're losing, losing, losing and it gets worse and worse. And I think then obviously you start looking at like, well, what's changed? What's different? Well, Prutz is here. Like, is that the case? And and so I think maybe that's a little bit. He was very opinionated and he was very like willing to just come in and assert himself early and be like a huge character in a dressing room of huge characters that had all coexisted for quite a period of time already. So, you know, maybe it did ruffle a few feathers, but I think that it was more the fact that where it didn't necessarily click on the pitch at first, Mm. gradually over time, those clicks maybe started developing more and more. And then by the end of the season, it was kind of a bit more of a a poisonous vibe in the sense of the clicks or whatever. But I don't think there was any malice. There was no like real, you know, no one was like a bad guy or anything. No, the the other guys are are more than a, in their own, in their own way, they are a, respectful of it but I think they do they do <laughs> there are a few stories of uh, David Prutton where it's just like this is it and that includes the, the trips to Austria that you had and you had one with David where I remember there being an interview where he was complaining about the accommodation on STFC world <laughs> so so oh, really? you know, yeah so you know that that that's out there or used to be out there um, right how do you do you like the pre-season tours Ah, oh, yeah. Like, obviously, it depends. Like, we'll, if we're we'll keep a, away from. We'll, we'll stay if, away from Decanio for now. Yeah, if we're talking a Decanio preseason tour, I'm not sure you can call that a preseason tour. <laughs> I don't know what the right word for that. The preseason in general, obviously, you know, you've got to put your work in, and normally it's a good time to get away and all the new faces integrate into the squad, mm. and it always ends up you probably do get one little night out in amongst there, and like. I've never had a bad pre-season trip. Like, even the Decanio one, you're still, at the end of it, there's a lot to come out of it, you know? Yeah, and you get to play, you get to go to places like Austria, and and you get to play some pretty random teams, and uh, and you get to... Yeah, I think, in my my pre-seasons, if you like, at Swindon, we played... Fen- uh, who do we play? We played. Was it Fenerbahce or saying one we, year? We played, we played against like Carlos, Roberto yeah. Carlos. Yeah. yeah, yeah, played against Roberto Carlos. Um, we played FC Cluj, who beat Celtic the other night in the Champions League. We beat them. We we we, we played them once in in preseason. Yeah, so no, I I think it's 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 great. It's great preseason tours. Yeah, I forgot we played Cluj before they were famous. I think, but um... I think they were the first team I'd ever played against that like played three five two. And they had obviously been working on it for a long time. They were like a very good team that were very well drilled. Mm. And they were, I remember not knowing, I think they battered us in pre-season. And I was looking around like, what on earth is going on here? I don't know where I'm supposed to be, who I'm supposed to be marking. <laughs> not one of them. In the warm-up, they were warming up. Not one of them had a single hair on any of their bodies. Like they were all completely waxed legs, shining like they were machines. A lot of them, and we. I'm thinking I'd never even heard of the team. I didn't know who they were. I thought our oh, preseason, like we normally play a couple of Joeys, and then they start the game. And I remember thinking, oh my god, these are like Brazil. <laughs> So 2010 starts. Um, this is the year where you lose your mate Sean Morrison to Reading, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so at this stage, weirdly, like for the last couple of years at this point, I was living in Reading. So I'd moved out of Diggs. I used to live in Diggs with a guy called Trevor Giles, who I absolutely loved it. I had the best time ever living with him. Um, so if he's listening to this, 
just want to say hello to him and thank you because I really did. He, he really, I, I, I first moved to Swindon and didn't have the greatest of times in one of the digs I was in. And then I went across to Trev and honestly, I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for a better family, Trev and Dawn to look after me. They were literally like a mum and dad. So that was, that was incredible. Um, and their sons like Mike lived with them as well. So got on really well with them. Um, and then I moved out of their place and I moved in um, with my best friend, Jem Carajan in Reading. He played for Reading at the time. Yeah. So I knew him from Reading. He had th then broken into the Reading first team. Um, so I went and moved in with him in his house. And then obviously Sean, I was with at Swindon. And then Sean left Swindon and went to play for Reading. So then he came to stay with us for a bit before while he found his own place. And then he moved up the road from us. So even though he was then at Reading, I would see him every day because he was now best friends with my other pal, Jem. Hmm. So it was quite weird how that obviously ended up playing out. Well, that kind of works out well because it's, it's never nice when you lose your allies in football, is it? And, no. and yeah. If you're just... And there was a couple of years there where me and Sean were like a real duo, yeah. How often do you get to see Sean now? Now he's uh, like... In... We speak every day. I speak to him every day. Yeah. We've got like a group chat with all our pals. Like, we're a real, real close group of friends. So Jake Hyde, hmm. Sean, Jem... We're all like super tight, and yeah, we talk every day. We always go on holiday every year. Well, I went to, I was on, hol I was on holiday with Sean this summer, just gone actually. So, yeah, really, really close. Nice. If if we told some of the stories that guy's done, we'd be here all night. Yeah, he's, he's been a cat. he's been caught out a few times social media wise, <laughs> hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And we'll it's the ones he hasn't been caught for that are the worrying ones, though. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll find out, Sean, if he listens yeah. to this. Um, yeah. This is the year that you go out on loan a couple of times, isn't it? So you go on loan yeah. to Ginningham and Rotherham. Ginningham with Andy yeah. Hessenthaler, which bodes for the future in your transfers, I think. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think you play under like three managers at Rotherham. Yeah. I've, I've, I've tried to work it out. It's Ronnie Moore, Andy Liddle and Andy Scott. I might be wrong there, but... No, no that's, that's spot right. on. Um, how were how, how those spells for you? Gillingham was really good. I only... I, uh, like Gillingham wanted to extend my loan mm. and I don't know whether what would have happened off the back of that but the way that Hess was talking to, I'd still chat to Hess every now and then now obviously he went on to be my Leighton Orient manager later on down the line as well but I think it, that Gillingham spell was was a good spell for me I only went there for a month and I ended up pulling my hamstring mm. um, which kind of killed it but just before I killed, uh, just before I pulled my hamstring in this game at Barnet away he told me that he wanted to extend it to the rest uh, for the rest of the year and that he was going to ask Swindon and that, and then Swindon were unsure whether they were going to let me or not. Mm. Uh, because at the time I'm trying to, I, I, I'm not, I'm not very good at remembering exactly what was going on at Swindon at that time, but I've got a feeling. It wasn't going that, well, mate. <laughs> I, I know it wasn't going well, but I'm trying to think who was in charge. I think at the point I was at Gillingham, it was still Danny Wilson. Yeah, correct. So in my head I was thinking, well, I don't want to leave because I think, and and Danny Wilson had kind of told me that I would, I was still majorly in his plans. I'd been injured. I should go and get some games, like whatever it was. Mm. Um, and then, so that went well. I got in. I, I pulled my hamstring, so that kind of cut the loan spell short. And then I ended up going to Rotherham. Yeah. And under Ronnie Moore, when I went there, we were like third in the league, and it started off like okay. And then he lost a few games and I think we were like dropping out of the playoffs. So then they changed the manager and then obviously he hadn't brought me in. But the second manager, Andy Little, he played me a couple of times. And then Andy Scott came in 
and he didn't play me at all. But at that point, it was weird because Paul Hart was now manager of Swindon, I think. And he was saying that he he was umming and ahhing whether to bring me back and just play me straight away because he didn't know like what was going on at Swindon like we were losing or whatever and he was like um, you might come back and play and then I was speaking to the lads and they were all like nah you don't want to come back and play for him like <laughs> he's the worst so I was like right okay uh, alright cool but Andy Scott even though he wasn't playing me so it was like I was in a real weird position because he wasn't playing me at Rotherham so I'm thinking what am I doing up here like let me just go back to Swindon and I, I might play mm. and I'd much rather be at Swindon than here but he was—he t- didn't want me to go back. He was saying, "Oh no, I might need you. Like, if we make it to the playoffs, whatever, I'm gonna—I might need you. I might need you." And then, obviously, with all the stuff that people were telling me about what was going on at Swindon, I remember kind of just coming to the conclusion that, you know what, I know I'm at Swindon next year. Let me just see if I can help Rotherham at this point. Maybe play a few more games before the end of the season, and then see what's happening next season. I think that's probably the most sensible option, to be honest. I think you probably yeah. by not playing in that side at the end of yeah. the season, especially, probably yeah. kept you at the club contract or no contract. It probably kept you um, yeah. because it was not good. Mm. Mm. So was not that good. was that your only interaction with Paul Hart? Just telephone I conversations. Didn't actually... I didn't have any interaction with him. Mm. I just heard a story about him and do you remember Michael Greller? Yeah, yeah, but he played with you at Scunthorpe, I think, as well. Yeah, great guy. Mm. Like, hell of a player. Just probably, like, too way too relaxed. And obviously in a relegation battle, that's probably not what you need. He's like a luxury player that when he fancies it, he's a joke. But mm. if he's not really on it, he can come across extremely lackluster and probably doesn't give you much. But... I remember Sai just calling me up and being like, oh, mate, you missed the best thing ever the other day. Um, Grells was on the bench and Paul Hart told him like three times to go and warm up. Um, and Grells was like gone up, gone to run down the side of the pitch. He's warmed up a couple of times. But you know what Grells is like? He looks absolutely bothered. He's come back, sat back down and he sat back down on the bench. He hasn't got shin pads on or anything. And Paul Hart's turned around. And he's like, Grells, go and warm up. And Grells is like, yo. I'm warm, bro. Like that to the gaffer, <laughs> to Paul Hart. And he's like, what? He went, I'm warm, bro. Relax. Like that. And then he's like, right now, nah, you ain't coming on. And then never played him again. Uh, so I was hearing all these little stories and I'm thinking, what, what on earth's going on here? So yeah, that was that. Was that. I that, didn't I didn't have any interaction with Paul Hart. That, that, that Greta story is great because I think at the time they sort of... Uh played out this story that he was refusing to play, wasn't it? And then Leeds uh, were very disappointed and things like that. But it turned yeah, out yeah. that, you know, he was warm. He didn't need yeah. to warm up anymore. I'm warm, bro. He's warm. <laughs> <laughs> now Richie he finds Ferry. Beaten away by Colgan. Oh, it's loose. It's Ferry again. And that has surely sealed Twindon's place in round two. Okay then, so down we go, but you're still uh, contracted, so you stick yeah. around, which is great, and then the news comes that... Here Pal- we go. <laughs> exactly, Palo de Canio arrives. So where were you when you found out? So I was on holiday, and my mum texted me and said, oh, Paolo de Canio's your manager, your new manager, and I honestly remember going, yes, finally, like, I've got a manager that's going to be like, you know, he's going to want to play football. We're going to be doing like flicks and tricks. This is going to be ledge. Like, and I remember then 
I called Sai actually and was like, mate, have you seen like the Canio as a manager? And he was like, oh, how good's that? And we like had a conversation about how good it was going to be that the Canio was our manager and the kind of football we were going to be playing. And he was like, oh, we'll probably be just doing headers and volleys and training and that. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. And then we turned up. And as you very well know, and I'm sure everyone else knows now, it could not have been further from the truth if I tried. So what were your early interactions with him like? So I imagine when he arrives, I, I, I always have visions that you all come in and as far as he's concerned, you're all useless and you've got to sort of sing for your supper. What, what were your early interactions like with Decanio? Yeah, so so my first, my first sort of like, per, you're right, like I think that's exactly what he thought, like who on earth are these gimps? that we've liked that I've that I've sort of inherited kind of thing mm. but he we started we did a his first session we did like a running session to start with that was brutal and then in the afternoon we got the balls out so I'm thinking alright cool he seemed a lot stricter than I thought but maybe he's just trying to like stamp his authority whatever whatever so then he goes right everyone pick up a ball and just start juggling the ball so obviously I'm like fairly competent at things like that so I'm there and I'm just juggling the ball nice and relaxed. I didn't drop it once, but I'm kind of like, I'm real sort of lackadaisical with it. Like it's not, I'm not entirely focused on it. I'm keeping the ball up, but I'm maybe talking at the same time. And then he just stopped the middle of the session. He's like, no, 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 no. What is this? What is this? I'm, I'm thinking, eh? I'm like, what do you mean? I haven't, I didn't drop it. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, you think, I can tell that you think you've got good technique. So I'm like, right, okay. And he's like, this isn't how you do it. I went and watched Messi for a full season. And even when you think he's relaxing, he's switched on. So he's watching where the ball's going, toom, 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 like as he's kicking the ball. So I'm like, wow, okay. This is like nothing I've ever seen before. Like he's having a go at me for keeping the ball in the air when he's asked me to keep the ball in the air kind of thing, like for a warm up. And then, but I'm like, okay, cool. And then we probably had a good six to eight weeks of just literally like teething issues the whole squad I mean like everyone just just understanding like to him what he thought was like so simple for us to understand which just wasn't the way that we'd ever been taught these things or his standards just were way off where like we were at or what we would do Mm -hmm. so I think it was just as much of like a cultural shock for us as it was anything else you know yeah and the good news for you at this stage is left back is, oh, is, is I'm wide open. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yours. I mean, you're given the number three, and yeah. I mean, until Chiboki comes in, it's it's you, it's yours, isn't it? So you must be rubbing your hands together and going, "This is it." Absolutely, yeah, no, for sure. And I thought even better because I thought we're obviously going to be getting a lot of. Um, like press there's going to be a lot of eyes on our games because of the canio so this is really good if we can obviously get it going and do well this season i'm going to be in pole position to to make something of it and and have a really good have a really good go yeah, yeah sure and it, and it very much starts like that and that first uh game of the season against crew when i remember looking at that first team lineup and being happy because you know billy's playing you're starting yeah. so he's not just you know he the transfer policy was relentless but there's still acknowledgement because for all your love for danny wilson he wasn't yeah. the most youth orientated manager that no, we no, that no, we've no. had so i think i think out of you're right you're right i think it was actually really only kind of 
me and Sean that ever got a look in under Danny Wilson, really. Yeah, exactly. And maybe yeah. Lloyd as well, but he has a couple of people on the bench in cup games, but he's, yeah. I don't think he gives anyone any of yeah. these, yeah. a debut. I, I, I honestly yeah. don't yeah. think he does. So yeah. we've got this manager who's relentlessly bringing in players at that stage. He's, he's, he's making his mark, but he's still looking at Swindon's future as well. You start and you kick it all off. And it's brilliant because Billy gets the penalty yeah. And you are the one that, that steps up and takes. How how were you feeling when, when you were given that ball? Did you know that you oh, were going to be the penalty taker? I did. I didn't just take it. I slotted that pen as well, didn't I? Let's <laughs> be honest. Um, no, it was, uh, yeah, it would already been, I think he'd already written on the board who was taking the penalty before. Like, So I knew that if we got a penalty, I was taking it. And then, do you know what? I think we we won 3 0, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, Oliver Rissa scored like an absolute screamer. I remember side being on the side, like suicidal. Um, <laughs> But we'd won three nil, and then actually talking to Sai, when we came in, I remember Sai saying, "Wow, like that's that that three nil was like papered over the cracks because we didn't play that well that day." Mm. Um, and then, sure enough, it kind of then was unraveling for the next few weeks, um, and we lost. What was it? Like the next four, I think it was. Yeah, that's right. So we lose at Cheltenham, Dagenham, Oxford beat us at our own patch and, um, and Shrewsbury as well. And is that very much based on what you were alluding to before about it wasn't clicking yet at that stage? Like even from a yeah, and also, I think it was like, well, well no. So Decanio had said to us, clear as day, he said, listen to me, this pre-season is going to be like nothing you've ever done before. And like he wasn't lying. It was a disgrace how hard it was. Mm. It, it, it truly was like some head and shoulders above anything else I'd ever done running wise. But I didn't feel fit yet. I, I didn't feel fit. I just felt knackered basically. Yeah. At, at like even, and he said, look for the first few weeks of the season, we're going to carry on as if it's preseason. And he's like, so you're going to really struggle for the first month, but you, I promise you that by the end of the season, you will be going so strong and everyone else will be like flaking basically. Um, so there was days where obviously the whole Leon Clark incident where you know all about that, obviously, but Leon, we'd actually trained that morning of the game Mm. and we'd done like a pretty full on session, played that game and we were in the next day. Leon obviously kicked off because he was told he was going to be running the next day because he was a bit behind all of us. But even us, the next day, we still did like a full two-hour session of tactics and movement and movement off the ball and closing down and stuff. So it was like, it it really was relentless. Mm. And I think that it only then started tapering off come like September time. And all of a sudden, we got the benefits of all the work that we've been putting in, plus the work that we had been putting in in terms of tactics and team shape and stuff that started to click as well and then it was kind of it's so weird how successful teams can still be successful but have completely different vibes so that Danny Wilson team that was on fire going into the playoffs that was all real light-hearted almost like less is more kind of thing Mm. everyone feeding off each other's enthusiasm and we were just killing it and but the Decanio one was we were winning games because it was almost like we deserve to win games. We've put in more than anyone else. We're more organised than anyone else. And if we lose, it's wor- it's more hassle to us to lose than it is to win. You know what I mean? Like mm. we, we have to just dig in and get this done because otherwise he's going to make our lives hell if we don't quite get it done. And I think 
what's really interesting from all that we've just said there is that's the first time somebody's come on this pod and said pretty much that it was a calculated risk what De Canio was doing. So he was not writing off those early games, but he knew that it would come good as it as it went along. Because I yeah. remember Swindon fans going, this guy's got to go, you know, early yeah, yeah. on. And, and uh, do you know what? I think a lot of the players were thinking it too. I think a lot of the players at, at one point were thinking like, this is just ridiculous. Like, because it, 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 it was weird. Like, you'd see him in the press and you, and then at times you'd see this like large and life character that you think, this is a great guy. And if he gave you a positive compliment or something, you, that no one could make you feel as big as he could. Like, you'd feel 10 feet tall. But they were so few and far between. And the other side of him was so like on it that mm. you would feel like oh this is just this is just such hard work and then when you're not getting the results as well you're kind of like what's happening here mm. and i remember one day him sort of coming in and being like listen i'm not going anywhere you lot can can sort of like piss and moan basically for for use of a better word but i'm not going anywhere so either buck your ideas up and get with the program or you'll be gone because I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Trust me. They'll let, they love me. Like I'm staying. And I remember everyone kind of being like, yeah, it's right. Like he's not going to go anywhere. Is he like, we need to, we need to like liven up here. And then as I say, it gradually just started to click. We had a very particular way of playing and I wish, I really do wish that I had him as a manager again now, like maybe not now, a couple of years ago, because, um, my that he he probably shaped how my mindsets changed to be fair mm. but i didn't have the right mindset at that time in my career by by no stretch of the imagination um so it i'd gone from like having a manager that was kind of like you know fairly positive all the time in danny wilson and and believed in me to someone who would nitpick every single bad thing that you could have done even if you had like a eight out of ten game and you thought you did really well and you're waiting for a compliment he would come in and pick the two things that you did wrong and not only just pick on them but just like hammer you about them Mm. and that was just the level of his standards though that wasn't in his head he's not thinking that he's being horrible or belittling you or anything like that that was just his way of being like this is where we need to be and now looking back it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me and i do really wish that i could have appreciated a bit more at the time and been able to kind of see it for what it was because we did get what we deserved at the end of the season mm. and we did get exactly what we said what he he said we would get it was just that at the time he, he obviously ruffled a lot of feathers and at the time you weren't sure of his reasonings and you weren't sure why he was doing certain things so it's quite easy to to sort of get your back up about it if you know what I mean were your feathers ruffled when say Alessandro Chibotki was playing because I think some people may argue and and you know he was he was a cult figure but you're probably better than him Liam Rydholsch comes in and of course Jay McEverly finishes the season as well and did that did yeah. that get to you? Do, you do you know what I I think that if you ask the Canio this he'd agree as well because he kind of alluded it to me a few times I think I annoyed him more than most I think that mm. I, I reckon I wound the canio up more than most because in his head, he thought that I could be really good, but he thought that I was like mentally weak and uh, he couldn't trust me to do it week in, week out. So every now and then, like I remember when Liam Ridehall came in mm. 
and he couldn't play against Huddersfield in the cup because obviously he was from Huddersfield, he was on loan. So I knew that I was playing in that game, but I also knew that I probably wouldn't be playing the next game because he brought Liam in, he liked him, so he was going to play. So I knew that I had this one-off game against Huddersfield to play and I had an absolute blinder. Like, I played really, really well that day. Didn't put a foot wrong. And rather than him being, like, over the moon for me and we won 4-1 and it was great, he that kind of enraged him even more because he's like, this is what I'm talking about. You've got everything you need to have, but you're basically not there mentally. Like, you knew that because you had one game, you could do it but I can't trust you to do it week in, week out. So I felt all that pressure and I felt like that he didn't really believe in me and trust in me and that I annoyed him. So it kind of was like me getting in my... I wasn't wasn't mentally strong enough at the time to wear that and then take, take it constructively and use it as a positive, really, at the time. So I kind of let it get the better of me, really. Yeah, I mean, of course, you missed the majority at the tail end of the season, all the big run, and you don't go to Wembley for the Chesterfield, you don't play at Wembley for the Chesterfield yeah. game, but you do yeah. play in some absolute ding-dong games. So you play yeah. the whole of the Wigan Athletic game, the Huddersfield game yeah. that you've already mentioned, and of course you played in the Northampton game where Decanio comes on at the end as well. Yeah. So plenty of highlights. Oh yeah, I love a bit of entertainment. Yeah, get me in. Like, <laughs> if it's kicking off, I'm there, man. <laughs> But no, it was like, it, it was, do you know what? Weirdly, if I look at my individual performances that season, I actually did pretty well. And I actually had some really good games in amongst those games. But for him, it was more of what I think he saw day in, day out, that he didn't necessarily believe in me to do it on a weekend every week, you yeah. know? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that, 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 sounds, that sounds about right. And I think... We always forget that, you know, Saturday comes, but between Sunday and Friday, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And that's where managers make their calls ultimately, isn't it? But I mean, I think you could you could feel that he could depend on you when when required, though, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I think like Fabrizio called me one time and he actually said to me, like, the gaffer is like losing his head with you, basically, Mm. because he wants you to play. I can't remember who we played, but we played someone and he's like, that's how he wants you to play. Why can't you play like that every week? Like you were like fearless. You didn't care. You were, you were really good. He said that you're one of the best left backs in this league when you play like that. And I was like, oh, I didn't really have an answer for him. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think I can do that every week. And, but, but deep down, I knew that he didn't believe that I could. And that kind of affected me, I guess. So, it was a weird it was a weird situation but looking back i didn't realize at the time how maybe instrumental it was going to be in the next few years of my career it took a, it took a long time for the penny to drop for me to really understand that the mental side of the game mm. was huge and I, I do really think that that's 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 been the biggest improvement in my life really in in general actually yeah. um but i think that if i'd have understood that a bit sooner I would have relished working with the Kenya. And like looking back even now, I do relish it. It was a for for all the hard work it was, it was the greatest achievement at the end of it and it did feel amazing when we achieved it. And looking back we that even those crazy times, we had such a laugh. Like he I, again, to this day I still am not 100% sure whether Decanio like did it on 
purpose or not, but he, he kind of created this like us versus him mm. culture where it was like he was big enough and bold enough and he had broad enough shoulders to take it. So he was kind of like the more horrible I am to them or the harder I push them as a group, the more they're going to come together and work for each other. And that's exactly what we did. We kind of used to be like, come on, we got to do this. We can do this. And if someone had a bad game and he dug them out, we'd be there to kind of say, look, look, it's all good. And at the end of the season, I kind of, there was a part of me that thought that was all part of his like bigger plan mm. that he knew how to, he, he definitely, I think he told us at one point he had like a degree in sports psychology or something. He, he had, he had some serious, uh, like mind games going on, but, but good, like really good. Um, I don't have a bad word to say about him. It sounds like I'm kind of saying that it was it was hell. It was mm. it, it really wasn't. It was really tough. But if you looked at it the right way, it you could have looked at it as like almost like a, a life changing experience, really, because his coaching and stuff was second to none. Like I'm talking. We do we do team shape tactics, and he'd stop it. He'd come over and he'd literally move your shoulders like three inches to the right, and be like, "That's where you've got to be." And when you do that all season for hours upon hours, you go into games just be it, literally feeling like, well, there's no way that these can be as prepared as us. It's, it's almost like it, it, you get the confidence from the work you've done, you know? Absolutely. And, and do you think that that reward that he gave you was the fact that you were one of the few fringe players that got the medal at the end? So there were a yeah, lot of players I, that didn't get a medal and you did. I, I just about, you know, like, this is no joke. We, there was a running joke that we used to sort of say, if you made it to the end of the season yeah. with the group, yeah, then you you were in. Like, you'd you done it. You did it. We made it. So, and I had a cop. I had a couple of close calls. I had like one real close call where I had two. One was where I wrote on Twitter at some point, "Ah, oh, nothing worse than being injured." Yeah? yeah, I think I said that. And he called a team meeting and went absolutely crazy because he was like, "Why are you telling opposing managers that you're injured now? They know that you're not playing. Like, ex so now they they know that we're probably going to play this play. You're giving them our team news." And he went nuts basically. So I was like, "All right, cool, my bad," <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then another story, which was probably the most insane turn of events I've ever been a part of. But basically, I'd been uh, I'd been taking this um, this like maxi muscle stuff, like these supplements. I'd been taking them for the whole season, basically, right? And um, I I'd finished this tub of maxi muscle. It was all gone, and I ordered some new stuff, right? So the new stuff comes, and I take it to the physio. And I said to him, um, I've been taking this all season, but just to be safe, um, like, can you just make sure that it's all good, uh, you know, like with the drugs, testing people and all that stuff, like, is this safe to use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah? Yeah. So yeah. this is after training them on Monday. We had Dagenham and Redbridge on the Tuesday night at home. And I was back in the team. And it was like, oh, either going to be my first game back for a while or... I'd just got back in and done all right. And, and it was like looking like I was going to be back involved and kicking on. So in training, I'm in the team. After training, I give this these supplements to the physio and I say, can you check it out for me? He's like, yeah, cool. Leave it here with me. That's fine. So I'm like, cool. Go home, prepare him for the game, whatever. Come into the game. We go into the change room. Everyone's sitting there. Fabrizio comes in. The gaffer's nowhere to be seen. So we're like, all right, that's weird. Never, He's never not come in here before. So... 
Fabrizio puts on a he, he pulls over the flipboard thing, pulls back the piece of paper and the teams on the on the thing, and I'm not on the team. So I'm kind of like, eh? And then I've looked at the bench. The bench is written down the side, and I'm not on the bench either. And I'm thinking, so then at this point, everyone's clocked that I'm not in the team and I'm not on the bench. But yesterday I was in the shape. So they've all started looking at me and they're like, what's, what's going on here? And so then I'm thinking, oh, no, what's happened? Like, have I said something to someone and he's overheard? And like, you start thinking all sorts because he was like, um, oh, he was crazy. So you're thinking, like, what's going to happen here? So um, Fabrizio leaves the room and I'm thinking, oh, what? And everyone's going, what, what's happened? What's happened? I'm like, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. Fabrizio comes back in. He's like, oh, Callum, the gaff wants to see you. So I'm thinking, this is it. Like, uh, what's going to happen here? And I'll never forget. I've like, I don't know if you've been there, but in the stadium, you walk into the, you walk into his office, mm-hmm. and it was like a two-part office. So you go in one door, and you turn left, and then there's another door that goes through to this little office. So the first room was almost like a little entertainment room where he had like a couple of chairs and some wine and stuff, and then you go through into his actual office where he had his desk and that, yeah? Mm. So I've gone in, I've opened the door, I've looked to my left, and he's just stood side side on in the doorway of his own office, and he's, like, literally seething, like, like he's, like, breathing fire. And I'm thinking, I honestly thought, when the door closed behind me, I honestly thought, we're going to fight it, like, he's going to fight me. And I'm thinking, what, 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 what's going on? So he's like, you got you got a part of my French here. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm like, hey, what, what are you talking about?" And he's going, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, what, "What what are you talking about?" And then I walk towards him. I'm going, "I don't know what you're talking about." He's grabbed me, like literally grabbed me by the shirt and like thrown me onto his sofa in his in his in his office. And I'm thinking, "What? I I, I have no idea what you're talking about." And then he's turned and on his desk, the maxi muscles just sitting on his desk. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, so I'm looking at him and I'm like, hey, and he's pointing at me. He's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, it's, I'm like, it's a protein shake. And he's like, no, 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 this isn't a protein shake. No, no, no. I know what this is. I know what this is. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you think you're a playboy? You think you're a playboy? You want a body like this? You want a body like this? And because on the front of the like maxi muscle, there was like some massive ripped guy, yeah? He's like, this is no good for football. And he's just like slapped the protein off the desk. And he's like, I know you. I know how your mind works. You want to go to Ibiza? You want to go to Malta on holiday? Get some girls? Get some girls? And I'm like, what? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Gaffer, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I've been taking it all season. It's just a new tub. I've just took it to the physio to see. And he's like, and he wasn't having a bar of it. He's like, no, 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 no. I know you. I know you. I know how your brain works. We're getting towards the end of the season. You're thinking about your summer holidays. You're thinking about a six pack and getting girls and all that. <laughs> and I was like, Gaffer, honestly, I don't know what you're going on about. And he's like, that's it. You're cut. You're cut. Never again. See you later. Get the fuck out. See you later. So I'm like, hey? And he's like, go, go. So I literally got like sent home basically for a protein shake. And then, um, the next day i'm trying to think what happened how it came about but the next day i'm obviously thinking well that's me like he'd cut about 25 people that season already and they'd never made it back so i'm like yeah i'm done and then uh and then he called me back in and he's like listen if you can admit 
like we know that you were wrong and he's like if you apologize to the lads or whatever then up to this point you've been a good guy he's like you've been a good guy up to this point and do you know what you've made a mistake it's all good if you apologize you're cool you're back in so i like went into the changing room i'm like lads listen i'm really sorry that i bought a protein shake um yeah it's good to be back kind of thing and everyone was just like kind of trying not to laugh and then that was it i was i was back in well still you got that medal yeah and i got the medal <laughs> so when i did get that medal it was extra sweet i was like let me just whip my top off now and show these six pack <laughs> and did you have a good holiday uh i don't even know if i went on holiday that was the thing <laughs> i was like probably the weakest in the whole team anyway i needed to get in the gym but i hadn't <laughs> that is a mad league one I mean, of course, that that was that was that for you at Swindon at the end of that season. Yeah, was yeah. was was there any chance of staying, or were you were pretty sure? No, that do you know, I, I, it's weird because I can't actually, I can't actually remember what happened exactly. Whether he, I don't think that we even had a conversation as to whether I would be, you know, whether he was going to release me or not. It was kind of like a. It, it was almost like a bit of a foregone conclusion, I think, at that point. Like we'd, we'd made up, we'd made up, like the protein shape thing that had happened like months back. I think that was in like March time. And we were cool after then. And even at the end of the season where we won, we were fine. I even played again after that, actually, after the protein shape thing. I did actually play again a couple of times. So we were cool. We were fine. But I knew that as long as, he, like when he was a manager, I probably wouldn't be his first choice. So I wanted to move on anyway. And... I think there's a part of me that thinks, who, who was who was the chairman at the time? Is it still? It was Jeremy Ray it? still, yeah. Oh, oh, no, 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 right. Okay, okay, okay. So Jeremy Ray, I got on really well with Jeremy, really well. And I, I feel like at the time, he'd kind of mentioned about me staying, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit. But I had kind of thought, nah, there's no way that De Canio is going to want me to stay. And so I'd kind of decided to move on. And then sure enough, I think Jeremy might have contacted me in the summer and said, listen, obviously, you know, like De Canio doesn't doesn't want to keep you on, whatever. And by that point, I'd already been speaking to a couple of clubs. So so it was kind of I already knew that I was I was going anyway. And you went to Scunthorpe. And is, is it fair to say that you're a victim of a quick change of manager there? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I think that I didn't know too much about the infrastructure of Scunthorpe when I got there. And in my head, they'd just come down from the championship and it was like that they were trying to go back up, Yeah, if you know what I mean. But it wasn't that at all. It was almost like they were trying to plug the holes because it was like a, a sinking ship almost. That's how it felt. Yeah. Within, within the first couple of months of being there, I thought, actually, there's there's some major issues here. I think they were like trying to get someone to take over the club because the money was going and it just had a very, obviously they got relegated the year before, mm. but even like at Swindon, the couple of relegations that I'd been involved in off the back of them, the next season was like a restart button. And it was like, right, it's go time. Like, come on, let's, let's do this. And we always had good seasons off the back of the relegations. Yeah. Um, but at Scunthorpe, as soon as I got there, I'm looking around at the players. I'm thinking, I've played most of these players before. They're all really good players. We had a really good team. Yeah, but but it was the men, it was like a, a mindset within the group that was it, it was real negative. Like they were they were down 
like it, it wasn't a good it wasn't a good they were great guys that like we had a great time up there but um in terms of football wise yeah i think the club was was struggling from the get-go and how was mike greller at scunthorpe was he warm uh, he stayed warm, bro. <laughs> nah, he was, uh, yeah, nah, he was yeah, a great guy. We used to train indoors a lot in Scunthorpe because obviously up north the weather was terrible. And no joke, he could be the greatest indoor five-a-side player I've ever seen. But he, uh, do you know, do you remember Brian Laws? Yeah, the manager, yeah, the ex-Sheffield yeah, Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, so Brian Laws hated Grells probably more than Paul Hart did, yeah. And uh, he gave him... Um, I can't remember what it was. There must have been some injuries. And he kind of played Grells through gritted teeth. He really didn't want to play him really badly. We were like right down there and we were in a relegation battle. It must have been like four games before the end of the season or something. Right near the end of the season anyway. And uh, we were we had to win this game. We had to win it. And it was one all. And in the 91st minute, we got a penalty. And Grells steps up to take it. And Brian Laws is losing his melon on the side. He's like, he's like, no, no, like any, like basically like anyone but Grells. And uh, <laughs> Grells has stepped up and tried to do a little dink, you know, like the little panicker or whatever. Like he's just, just tried a little tiny dink, and the keepers just stood there and just caught it and just and just booted out the other end. And I've never seen a manager go so crazy after <laughs> the game. And Grells was like. And then Grells is like answering him back. He's going crazy. And Grells is like, yo, I, I, I just tried something, bro. I'm trying to be creative out here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was like, that's the problem in England. You all just stifle creativeness. No one wants to be creative. <laughs> I, I loved him. I thought, I thought he was amazing. That's amazing. If, if that warm bro story would have been around at the time, he would have been cheerfully forgiven, I'm sure. Um, yeah. How close were you to joining Oxford? Uh, for the sake of this podcast, I'll say not very, but in reality, it probably was. It probably was fairly close, actually. Yeah. 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 Shameful, shameful. I know, I know, but I never really. Um, weirdly, like I never, I, I never really thought about it in the sense that because obviously it wasn't. Uh, if I'd have left Swindon and maybe gone straight to Oxford, yeah, then in my right. head, in my head, it might have been it would have been a, a more of a thought process. But yeah. I guess at the time, uh, I'd been at Scunthorpe, I had another year, and then Chris Wilder called me, and he was like, he, he was fairly keen at the time. And um, and I just remember thinking, more than anything, it was actually probably the fact that it was quite close to, like Swindon and Reading and stuff. I thought, well, where I am now in the country, I'd love to get back down south. That's probably one of the closest clubs to home, if you like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it pretty much was. It was very close to getting done, but not with any ill feeling. If no, you know what I mean, of course. Trying to get a football league job, which is fair enough. Um, and that job came in the form of AFC Wimbledon, where you probably have the best part of your pro career um, yeah. over three seasons initially. And the the key moment is your last game, really, or the last three games, because you play yeah. in a proper ding-dong with Accrington Stanley in the semi-finals and then yeah. you play the final um, and you play the whole game and as I've said to you off mic you should have taken that penalty shouldn't you? Yeah 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 I reckon so I think um, B I can film what we call him Bayo or B I think he would me and him get on like a house on fire by the way and um, for all the people that say like oh yeah why did you let him take it I always say like well I'd like to see you argue with that guy <laughs> 
Like, I don't see anyone else there, but I don't think anyone else in the history of his life has ever even tried to put up a fight. So I'm taking that with me. Like, I, 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 I stood up for myself for all of about 15 seconds. Mm. Um, but no, it was, you know what, at the time, I had my reasons for wanting to take the take the penalty. He had his reasons for wanting to take the penalty. And um, I was very upset at the time when it happened. And then just before he took the penalty, I remember thinking to myself, right, Cal, you've got a decision to make here because we're about to hopefully score and wrap this up. And this can be the greatest day of your career. I've got 50 family and friends here. I've already set up a goal. We're going up into League One and you can enjoy it for what it is or you can let this tarnish like what you know you probably might not get this moment again in your career so I quickly forgot about it um and then afterwards he kind of apologized and it was all good and I was just happy that we'd won like I said I was I'd, I'd, I'd assisted a goal so in my head I'd kind of played my part and it was it was all good yeah, I mean, that Plymouth side, I mean, for those who don't know, um, AFC Wimbledon 2016 played Plymouth Argyle in the playoff final. Plymouth, probably man for man, the better team um, on paper. Um, and Wimbledon won, and I think it was about three days into injury time when the penalty was taken, wasn't it? But uh, yeah. But yeah, Wimbledon sort of, you know, that fairy tale malarkey that they like to attribute to anything that Wimbledon does. Um, it just put them up a level and I think probably higher than MK Dons at that point. I think that did it was, switch, it was the it? Set, we, we switched, yeah. So yeah. the first time we went above them, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've got to be honest, I absolutely love my time at ASC Wimbledon. It's a, it was a great club, great mm. family club. And it really is everything that they kind of uh, portray it to be, you know, like obviously it's got the fairy tale story. And as you say, like everyone sort of bangs on about it, but um, it definitely does have a, a really good feel to the club. Uh, as soon as you go there to be a player, uh, you're welcome with warm arms. And then it's like from then on in, you're, you're almost like part of the family kind of thing. So, yeah, I loved I loved my time at Wimbledon. Yeah, Fantastic. And, you know, the Football League being... A crazy thing as it is, you go from that sort of that environment of glory, and then you have the most bizarre season that you can probably wish for if you wish for such a thing at Leighton Orient. Which yeah. one thing I can chaos. say about my career is that it's either been super high or it's been <laughs> super low. I don't really do the in between. So I went to Leighton Orient, uh, uh, joined up with Hess, obviously, and that season before. They'd gone. They just missed out on the playoffs that we obviously went up went up in uh, Wimbledon. That is. So I knew they were decent. I knew they had good players. Like Jay Simpson was there. I, I always liked playing at their ground. So in my head, I was thinking, that's a really good club. Like in terms of club, yeah. it's a bigger club oh, than absolutely, Wimbledon. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking like, right, cool. And Hess is telling me that they're going to have a bash. They'd signed another player called uh, Gavin Massey, who mm -hmm. I played a few times, and I was like, he's a really good player. I thought he would have got a higher move. So I thought, well, for them to get him, that kind of is, shows intent or whatever. And it was kind of similar to the Scunthorpe thing that it, it, it took a month or so for me to realise, actually, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And uh, and it, it wasn't. I felt, I genuinely actually felt really sorry for everyone involved in the club, the fans and stuff, because that was carnage, what was going on there. But like the guy that owned the club, the people that were running it, they weren't good people. Yeah, my question was how bad was it, but Carnage probably it was it was about as bad as it possibly could get. I don't think it could have really got much worse. It, it kind of all ended up getting to the point where 
they just refused to pay us not because they couldn't not because they, it wasn't a case of like we don't have the money it was a case of we don't want to pay you yeah i remember um the owner was Bachetti, wasn't it and yeah uh, yeah the season before because they went back to back relegations so they had the playoff yeah. season then they got relegated from league one and yeah. then they went got relegated from league two and the year they got relegated i think they were relegated at swindon on the last day or the second mm-hmm. from last day and um i remember because i was near the um where the the owner was yeah and yeah, the yeah. town fans were mocking them at going down going down going down because yeah. results weren't going their way but and the the owner just could not understand and he was shouting but we're winning we're winning and then he just yeah. couldn't understand why oh. swindon were mocking him yeah. and then and then swindon, i don't think yeah i don't think he was a um i don't think he was a football man let's say that <laughs> well you know we've been we've been talking for a couple of hours now so let's begin yep. to wrap this up because i'm yep. sure you have um a life beyond this conversation so you, you had a, All another... the listeners ears would be bleeding by now They'd have turned off. <laughs> listen don't worry about it. we can go as long as you want they'd have turned off for hours ago we're good <laughs> um you had a short spell at wimbledon you returned and then you, you you've now gone down to national league south with billericay town billericay I mean, most people know of them because of what the BBC every now and then dip into social media and pull what, how it's operating in this. I mean, man for man, that's, that's largely a league, lower league two side, I would say. Um, so, so what, what's, what's the setup like at Billericay? Um, well, so obviously I'd never been, I'd never gone part time before this. Yeah. So of course, that is a shock to the system in itself, like going from full-time football to part-time football. Um, but yeah, like you said, we've got a hell of a team um, in terms of the players that we've got is is unbelievable. And I think that this season especially, uh, we've won three out of four so far. Uh, we started the season pretty well. And um, I think that things are in place for us this season to, to have a really good a really good go at it like um, we played Welling the other night who will be up there as well I think and and we did really well we beat them 2-1 and we played some really good stuff so I'm actually I'm, I'm really excited about it this season mm-hmm. and I mean were there options higher up above the chain at that point or were Billericay yeah so when I when I actually left Wimbledon to come to Billericay I'd had uh, maybe like two or three clubs that had offered me stuff um, but two of them were up north and I've got a little man now, uh, my missus and little man, um, he's six, so he's like settled in at school and stuff. Yeah. So that was a bit like for for what it was, I was like, for me to move up north now at this point in my life, I'm not sure that that's really worth my while kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then there was one other league team that I was kind of waiting out on. Um, but then when the Bill Ricky thing came to me, uh, it I don't know, I just, I knew, so a lad that I, funnily enough, when I went on loan to Gillingham, uh, Alan Julian, the goalkeeper, he played for him, Mm -hmm. so, and it turned out, I didn't know this at the time, but he lived 10 minutes down the road from me, so I ended up messaging him, saying, look, Billericay are interested, like, what's it like, and he was like, oh, mate, you'll really enjoy it, and then he kind of played a part in me coming down there, and that kind of, he, he just talked me into taking the plunge really he was like look if you sign a two-year deal there's a good chance that we could get back in the league if we do things right um obviously last season we missed out on the playoffs this season hopefully we'll go one better and then i've got um 
I've signed a new deal in the summer, so for two years. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, the goal will be to a get them into the conference, and then if we could get into League Two, it'd be incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, they've got Matt Reed's just joined there. I think um, Jake Robinson was was at Brighton yep. for a long time. I remember him. Um, Alfie Potter was on a quite a long trial at Swindon about a year ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So Ronnie Henry, Stevenage, I think he was. Gavin Gunning, well, oh, he was at Forest Green Rovers, wasn't he last season? So, yeah. so, so ahead of us, ahead of us up. So, so you're semi pro now. What what are you doing on the on the nine to five? Um, so nine to five wise, uh, I've got like a, a good friend of mine, finally from all the way back in the days, Nat Pill Wanderers days. Um, he's doing, he's a football agent. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm doing a little bit with him. Very, it's almost like I wouldn't class it as a nine to five, really. It's mm-hmm. almost like just sinking my teeth into that kind of stuff. I think that's probably what I want to go into for nice. after football. Um, and kind of it goes full circle back to like what we were talking about under the canio i kind of got like a bit of a a soft spot for trying to maybe help people develop their mindset at a younger age than i did so like if i could help a young player that's got a lot of potential maybe look into the other side of the game um that I'd, I'd, i'd find that extremely rewarding because i think that if you can kind of get that side of things down then football obviously is great while it's there but if you get the right mindset to do well in football, I think that also gives you the right mindset to then do well in life. So for me, that would be my sort of, uh, that's kind of what excites me, you know? Yeah, and hopefully you'll be one of the nice ones. I spoke to... Uh... That's, that's the aim. That's <laughs> I, the aim. I spoke to Brian Howard and Grant Smith on, on this pod and they're both football representatives now so um and you Brian know, Howard's a great guy yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and and you know that I mean they spoke quite honestly about the that industry and that there are some wrongins in there so to speak absolutely. but but I mean it's it's a great platform for you know you can either go down the coaching the media but representing is always going to be there as well isn't it of course yeah and I think like you said uh, for me it's like how you do anything is how you do everything so if you are if you're a good guy and you genuinely care about people then the whole agency side of things it it doesn't have to be what people portray it to be it can be whatever you want to make it so i just think that you know it's a bit cliche but like the cream always rises to the top doesn't it if you're Mm -hmm. doing a good job and you're looking after people correctly and you can actually hopefully build relationships with players that last throughout their careers and they can look back and say you know what you did well for me in terms of like my contracts and stuff that's great but more than anything you helped me as a guy like as a man develop mentally whatever it may be and you helped better my life so that's kind of my read around it anyway well that's what i'm telling myself no absolutely and let's wrap up then with swindon town so um so if you know you close your eyes, you think of Swindon. What what are those lasting memories that you have? Oh, I've got so many. I've got so many. Honestly, I think that they were the most fun years that I ever had. Like from nights out with all the lads going out in like Bristol and me and Sean chasing after people in the street doing citizens arrests. But that's for another time. Uh, uh, Danny Wilson, obviously that season, um, like getting all the way to Wembley, obviously winning the league with the Canio, beating Wigan. I always think of that game, the Wigan game. That was always a, a highlight for me. Um, 
playing in those FA Youth Cup games, being at Trev's house before an FA Youth Cup game, and he'd always make sure he gave us a massage. He used to be a masseuse, so um, he basically made sure that for the FA Youth Cup games, we did everything we prepared properly like we would if we were in the first team. And um, we had a real good set routine going into those games. And those FA Youth Cup games at the time, they felt like World Cup finals to me. Um, and then obviously when you go from there to break into the first team, um, I, I really did. Honestly, I absolutely loved my time at Swindon and I, I loved being there. And uh, it's an extremely um, fond place in, in my memories and stuff. So I'll always be forever thankful to <coughs> to Swindon and all the fans and stuff because they always were super nice to me. Even if they were hammering me behind my back, they were good to my faith. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, it was ultimately went out with a bang, which was the most important thing. I We've been talking for two hours and I think we've only scratched the surface. So I'm going to try and get you on for Q&A in, in the future, if that's OK for you. Absolutely, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get the listeners to ask the questions. Callum, thank you very much. No worries. Top man, Rich. Thank you, mate. The Low Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. It's a grand old team to play for. It's a grand old team to see. Yo, I'm warm, bro. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.